Hi, everybody. Stefan Molyneux from Freedom Main Radio. Hope you're doing well. Yeah, yeah. I say the same thing every week, don't I? Say the same thing. Oh, what a great show. But seriously, this was a great show. First caller. How on earth can universally preferable behavior, my system of ethics, how can it make ethics objective when the values and ends and goals that an ethical proposition depends on are subjective? If UPB can't make ethics objective, why does it even matter? Great question. How can we elevate ethics to the structure and strictures of physics? That's a great question. Good answers, too. I would say myself. The right to bear arms, asks the second listener, and the use of firearms for self-defense is fundamental to being a free-thinking, self-reliant human being. When on earth did we become such weak-kneed mama's boys that the right to bear arms became questioned? Great, great question. Third caller had a girlfriend who didn't like a video uh, or a podcast I did called Feminism, Unequal Opportunity Nagging, and uh, asked me a couple of questions that I don't think are exactly what I said. But uh, if you like estrogen-based parasites, you'll really, really love this show. Uh, And this question in particular, I had some excellent, if I do say so myself, rants about uh, feminism and uh, women as a whole and... um, Maybe a little bit his girlfriend in particular. So here we go. Let's get started. All right. Well, up first today is William. William wrote in and said, I agree that universally preferable behavior, UPB, is a valid concept. However, how does the concept of UPB make ethics objective when your values, ends, and goals that a UPB depends on are subjective? If UPB does not make ethics objective, how does it fit in with your theory? Why does the concept matter? That's from William. Hey, William. How you doing? Good. How are you? Good. Is science objective? Oh, yeah. Science is pretty objective. What do you mean pretty objective? I mean, it's completely objective. Okay. And uh, but the the goals of science are subjective, right? I mean, you can choose to try and figure out the universe by reading tea leaves or praying to your ancestors or anything, right? Mm-hmm. So why is ethics in one category if it's a valid and uh, universal and logical framework, but science is in another? Well, it deals with um, preferences, or at least your theory deals with preferences, which is different from um, like if you're going to say somebody should do something, then you have to say that the goal, like, like you have to ask why should they do something. So in the case of, of you know, do we want to, let's say, um, want to figure out why, you know, clouds accumulate or whatever, we would say that you should use the scientific methods to um, figure out that question. And right. so, in so, ed- so you, want, you want something to be logical and empirical in order for it to be objective. But you have to have a preference for something being logical and and empirical in order to feel that the objectivity is even a value, right? Yes. So how is science different from UPB in that regard? Um, Well, it's in the way you define moral rules. I I mean, I actually – I mean, I have a a short argument quoting a couple passages in your book that that, – take your definitions of what morals are and moral rules and what are universal preferences and what a universal preferable behavior is and then proves how through that the the whole the, the whole objective moral rules the, the latter half of your book 
um, with the logic and maxims um, depends on a subjective goal or subjective value. I'm, I'm already conceding that, right? I mean, you have to have, if, if you want to be in philosophy, then you have to have a subjective preference for universal truth, right? Because there's no such thing as an objective preference for universal truth, because that would say that a desire exists outside the subjective realm of the human mind. So if you want to know the truth about the physical world, you have to have a subjective preference for the objective methodology of science, right? Mm. So if you want to have a valid moral theory, then you have to have a subjective preference for rational consistency, empirical conformity, and so on. Uh, but I'm not sure how it would be different between ethics and science. It's a subjective preference for a universal methodology. If you're, if you're going to say that people ought to be good, is that, is that what you're saying? I'm sorry, I'm not sure I understand the question. Um, you say that people ought to not initiate force. I, that's not the argument in UPB. I, I like people to not initiate force is not an argument any more than I like jazz, right? I mean, me having a preference for what people should do is not a philosophical argument, and there's nowhere in UPB where I say it would be, I would prefer it, or it would be nice, or people ought to just not initiate force or whatever. That's not a philosophical argument, right? The argument within UPB, <clears throat> which, you know, you can get at freedomainradio.com slash free, but the argument within UPB is that if you want uh, to define, define a system of ethics or of universally preferable behavior, then the behavior that you define as universally preferable behavior has to be three things. It has to be universal, it has to be preferable, in other words, people have to be able to choose it, and it has to be behavior, not thoughts, for reasons I go into in the book. So the non-aggression principle can be universalized. You can have everyone in the whole world not initiating force at the same time. You can't have everyone in the whole world initiating force at the same time. That would be impossible, at least as universally preferable behavior. And uh, it is behavior, not thought, because the initiation of force is not, I'm thinking bad thoughts about you, but I'm doing something unpleasant to you with a fork. And uh, so it is universally preferable behavior. Uh, you can have the non-aggression principle conforms to the standards of universally preferable behavior, whereas the initiation of force, the initiation of rape or murder or theft or assault does not conform to universally preferable behavior. So if you and I are both in a room and uh, we have a moral theory which says taking each other's property is morally good, then I should both want to take your property and have you take my property from me. And yet, if I want you to take my property from me, then you can't achieve the universal value called stealing because it's only stealing if I don't want you to take my property from me. Like if I leave an old stove on the front of my house saying with a sign that says, take me, no one's going to um, convict you for theft if you come along and take it because I want someone to take that property of mine away. Uh, and uh, similarly, if I rent out my lawnmower and, you know, then you pay me, then it's not theft and so on, right? So it's not... People ought to be good. I don't, that's not really, that's like a kid saying, I like candy or <laughs> puppies are cute. Uh, it is um, that uh, uh, ethics are universally preferable behavior. And if you're going to have an ethical system, then it has to be universalizable. Uh, it has to be something that people can choose. In other words, it can't be something outside the realm of human choice because then philosophy or ethics wouldn't. It's like saying, well, the ultimate diet is Klingon food. Well, Klingon food doesn't exist and therefore it would not be a very useful diet. And it has to be behavior, not thoughts for reasons I go into in the book. So uh, that's the, in a crux, the argument around universally preferable behavior as a system of ethics. Uh, and it's got nothing to do with, I'd like people to be nice or anything. Uh, so what, 
I guess then my question shifts to why is it uh, this this kind of seems redundant. Why why is it good to be moral, or why is it why should you be moral rather than not moral? Like what? I, what? Yeah, what, I, you're what, asking me for are you you're asking me for preferences, um, but uh, it's around the universality. Like you can right? say you can say that okay you can say then that morality is objective and you can define um, what what is right and what is wrong in ethical terms, but then all the nihilist has to say is that it doesn't matter because you're not really doing anything wrong. Well, so the nihilist would say that there's no such thing as universally preferable behavior. That's the argument I'm making. Right, because and that's no a terrible ob- argument. Because there's, there's that, that's no a completely ob- self-detonating argument that is completely incomprehensible to any rational thinker. Because the moment you say there's no such thing as universally preferable behavior, you're saying it's universally preferable behavior to reject universally preferable behavior. And if that doesn't cause a short circuit, I don't know how to help you. (laughs) There's no such thing as truth. Uh, Is that a true statement? Yes. Is it absolutely true? Yes. Do you not realize the self-contradiction? No. Well, philosophy can't help you after that, right? Because that's someone holding up a piece of cheesecake saying it's broccoli uh, and refusing to take any evidence to the contrary. So... Uh, no, a nihilist doesn't doesn't get anywhere. Now, someone can say uh, that they don't want to participate in any philosophical discussion. For sure, they can excuse themselves and say, I'm not going to make any statement true or false or positive or negative regarding philosophy, ethics, virtue, whatever it is, metaphysics, epistemology. Great. OK, then, you know, basically you're trying to influence civilization by going to live in the woods. You're out of the equation. and You're not going to be part of it. But the moment you engage in a philosophical discussion. You're saying the truth is preferable to falsehood, that truth is uh, something that is objective, it's outside human consciousness, and there are particular standards that you ought to conform to called the truth or, or fidelity to the truth, which for a nihilist would be there's no such thing as truth, which vaults over the reality that he's making a universal truth claim that there's no such thing as universal truth claims. So no, the, the nihilist um, uh, is uh, you know, just taking a long dump in the, uh, uh, in the punch and thinking he's adding something to the party. Hello? <laughs> Did we lose him? Looks like well, it. Well, you know what? Maybe hello? he took me oh, up on, on my invitation. Oh, hello? are you still I'm there? Sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I actually muted myself. Um, oh, I thought you just taken me up I... on the invitation to go live in the <laughs> <laughs> No, 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 no I'm sorry about that. When I talk about nihilists, I'm not talking about the metaphysical nihilists or the epistemological nihilists, something like that. I'm talking about the ethical nihilists, simply that like, you can accept that truth exists and, and, um, and reality exists without saying that morality exists. Now, when I say... Um, that universally preferable behaviors don't exist. I, I don't mean that. Um, I'm not talking about universally preferable as means to an end. As in, if I want to build a house in the woods, it is universally preferable for me to cut down the trees to create an area for the house. But create. No, but we're not. We're not talking actions. We're talking theories. Okay, if I say... Right, we're not talking just, specific if actions. I say we're is, saying if, if I claim that my theory is universal, then it needs to be universal. If I claim that my uh, theory is rational, then it needs to be rational. These are almost tautological, but not, okay. not quite. If I, if um, I, so go ahead. If I make the claim that it is, or the theory that it is universally preferable to cut down trees versus not cut down trees to build a house no, of woods... No, 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 you can't. Because okay. universally is not specific to a particular location. It's not particular to a particular action. I'm saying, you know, any like force, cutting down trees. I'm saying, but but murder is an action. If you can say that murder is not universally preferable, then that's a contradiction. 
There is nothing contradictory between cutting down trees and not cutting down trees. But if I say that murder is universally preferable behavior, then people both want to kill others and want to be killed themselves. But and that, if, you want, if you want to be killed, then it's euthanasia, not murder, which for some people is a similar category, but it's not completely identical philosophically. So um, it comes down to that which is inflicted upon other people. Now, you obviously inflict your acts upon a tree, but a tree is not a moral agent in the same way that a human being is. But if you inflict your acts upon a human being, then you have two of the same entities, two human beings. If you say that murder is, is morally good or murder is, is wonderful or murder is universally preferable behavior then you have two human beings with opposing categories. One person who has the willingness and capacity and moral ability, if not the right, to take another person's life, but that other person does not have the same right uh, in return. Murder cannot be valued by both people who are trying to kill each other at the same time. In the same way that if I want someone to have sex with me, then it's not rape, sort of by definition, right? So rape can't be universally preferable because then it means everyone should want to impose sexual um, violations on other people who want those sexual violations imposed upon them. But the moment the victim wants the sexual violation imposed upon him, he's maybe role-playing, he's maybe got hot wax dripping down in uncomfortable places, but it's not rape anymore. So these are self-detonating categories that don't exist when you take an axe to a tree because a tree is not a moral agent by which you are universalizing the act of hitting something with an axe. And I understand the contradiction, but what's, but that's if you presuppose that the definition of universally preferable and enforceable through violence is good or, or the opposite. But if you, if you just... Sorry, use, I, I don't understand that, Pat. Well, it's, it's actually directly from your book. It's the first category. You said, it is good, universally preferable, and enforceable through violence, such as don't murder. Now, um, but that's if you put it in the context of good. You're only defining it, – it's in, it's in a void. I mean, if you put that in a void, if you put universally preferable and enforceable through violence, then you can't – it, it's um, – how do you ascribe universally preferable as good? Universally preferable for whom? Universally preferable no, 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 for what no, goal? No, 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 stop, stop. For whom, you don't understand what the word universally means, okay? You can't say universally preferable for whom. It's like saying all mammals are warm-blooded. Well, which mammals? It's like, well, no, there's a category for everyone, right? So universally means universally. Now, good as a function of universally preferable behavior, you know, it's a shorthand, it's a good or moral or whatever it is to conform to universally preferable behavior. Or if you have a system of ethics, that conforms to universally preferable behavior. The way that you would shorthand it to the population is good in the same way, a goodness or virtue or whatever it is. In the same way that if you have a hypothesis and a set of experiments and reproducibility, that conforms to the scientific method that's called valid or that's called science or that's called proven or whatever it is, right? You don't have to use the same terms for everything all the time. So no, since virtue must be that which is universally preferable, because if it's not universally preferable, uh, in other words, if, if it's subjectively preferable, then it's like a taste for broccoli. It's not in the category of ethics. It may be in the category of aesthetics or it may be morally neutral. Category of aesthetics would be something like it's nice to be on time, but you can't enforce it by shooting people who are late. Uh, so it may be neutral, like running for a bus. Is it good or bad? Who knows, right? It may be aesthetically preferable, like being on time or being polite or whatever. Or it may be universally preferable, like don't initiate the use of force, uh, keep your contracts, do the stuff you've agreed to and so on. Don't steal through through contract. So um, saying that goodness doesn't, like I say, universally preferable behavior is a synonym for virtue. And then you're saying, well, okay, but you've got universally preferable behavior, but where does the virtue come from? Well, it's shorthand. 
Well, you're talking about universally preferable behavior in terms of the means to an end. I mean, you, I, I'll quote you on page 47 of the physical copy of your book. You say, when I speak of a universal preference, I'm really defining what is objectively required or necessary, assuming a particular goal. And so if the goals can change, then the means can change. The means no, are, are, no, not, no, are no. not universal. If, if your goal, no, listen, if your goal is to find out the truth, about the physical nature and properties of the universe, then you have to use science. Yes. Right now, you can change those goals, but then you're not going to find out the truth about the universe, right? Of course, you can change the goals. Absolutely. But like if my goal is, is to walk from New York to Toronto, I'm going to head north-ish, right? Now, I can head south-ish, but then I'm not going to get to Toronto, right? So yeah, of course, the goals can change. But that doesn't mean that somehow you're still aiming towards ethics if you're coming up with a hypothesis or a theory that violates universal UPB. But you're still assuming that ethics – you still assume that ethics exists before that. I mean what happens Ethics when, does not exist. See, here's what, the thing, what, what, right? I'm sorry. And I say, this, I say this so many times in the book and I have said this so repeatedly in this show that I can only assume you're either new to the conversation or only skimmed to the book. Ethics does not exist I've, any more than the scientific method exists. I've read your book three times. Um, okay, but you know then I keep saying ethics doesn't exist, right? Yes, but it's, exist. It's, uh, it's not meant as an existent physical reality. Um, you, uh, is, is there it? an existence outside of physical reality that I'm not aware of? It exists as a concept, not a... Not a um, I, I'm not trying to get into a metaphysical debate. I'm just talking about... Um, oh, or the, yeah. So if you say the, if if you say the means are universal, but the um, but the the goals are subjective, then what happens with a moral agent who doesn't have the desire or goal for morality? You shoot. How, him. how do you? How? But but why? Why do you shoot him? Because oh, he's oh, coming sorry, at you I'm with sorry. a knife. I thought you said because he's got, he's not got the desire to be a virtuous person, which means we assume that he's being an evil person, which means he's initiating the use of force, which through the principle of self-defense you you shoot him. If that's all you can do, if you can't but get it's away, no longer, it's right? no longer there is no for the person who doesn't who doesn't desire morality. There is no universal preference. There could be because I don't know what goal. you mean by doesn't desire morality. I don't know what what is that. Give me give me give me an action because we're talking about behaviors, not thoughts. So give me an, how would I know that somebody doesn't desire morality? Like just by looking at them, right? I don't, I don't need somebody to uh, to announce that they're going to steal. I just have to see them breaking into a window and climbing into somebody else's house, right? Well, I don't have to give you an instance because um, if you're going to say that that an ethical theory is universal and and applies to everybody and across all time then there's going to be at least one person in time that doesn't that doesn't value it so you, what you can't you can't pause so it. what does that what does that have to do with the universality of it are you saying that if somebody's bad at math this somehow brings down the entire edifice of mathematics no i'm saying or somebody doesn't doesn't learn language like i don't know mandarin does that mean mandarin doesn't invalid for for the billions of people who speak it no, it's not invalid. What does it matter if somebody doesn't accept a certain moral standard? I mean, that doesn't have any validity on the – like lots of people reject science. That doesn't mean that science becomes less valid or, or valuable. But, but your moral theory relies on somebody – there being some sort of objective value because unless there is some sort of objective – No, you know, objective, value, objective value is a contradiction in terms. I know, but – 
this is why this is why the theory is false because if there is no objective value then there are no objective means and if there's no objective means then the concept of universally preferable behavior is moot okay so then you think that science is moot science doesn't exist it has no validity and no value no because there's no objective preference towards science and there's no objective value called science or mathematics or logic or empiricism and therefore these things have no val validity or no value no, but, but science is different from ethics because it's 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 as in you even I think you use it uh, universally preferable behavior is you use that as an umbrella term. It if universally preferable behavior is false or subjective, then the entire theory becomes subjective. Where in science, you're not it, it, it's not the the preference. Wait, wait, hang on, sorry, sorry, I got to just take this a step at a time. Sure. So if universal rational empirical behavior or theories about universal rational empirical behavior are somehow subjective. Do, do you get the contradiction there? If you're claiming universality, either it is universalizable or it's not. If it's not, then it's subjective. It's a particular preference. I like jazz or whatever. But it's if it's universalizable, then by definition, it can't be subjective, right? If, if you've successfully proven that something is universal, then it is by definition objective. Because you're, you're using a different definition of what a universally preferable behavior is. I mean, Rand used it in, the, in the, uh, the universal way. She said that there was a universal value that all moral agents held, and that because all moral agents held that, you could derive a good and bad. What you're saying is that there are subjective ends and subjective goals, and that because but, – but there are objective means, and that those are universally preferable um, means to an end where Rand said that there was already an objective value and that you could derive universally preferable behaviors. But if you don't have the objective value first, you can't derive um, universally preferable behaviors because they're, they're only universally preferable to the people who hold the goal. Now, as soon as somebody doesn't hold no, no, the goal. No, that's no, that's universally preferred, not preferable. And again, I've gone over this so many times. But it's the means, right? The means. So, of course, about. there are lots of people who disagree with the non-initiation of force. Lots of people, people who spank, people who like um, wars that are initiated in an imperial fashion, uh, people who hit their wives, people who um, steal, people either directly or indirectly. There's tons of people who are perfectly willing and happy and consider it moral to initiate the use of force. I don't know what. So there are, there are people who disagree with philosophy. Guess what? That's why there's philosophy. Like there's this weird thing where people say somehow we need to get a philosophical theory to the same level as a physics theory. Like physics is like this, this it, it gives all intellectuals this massive boner to think that they're approaching the certainty of physics. But the whole point of physics is physics does not involve human consciousness. Philosophy can never, ever conceivably approach the level of physics. Because if it did, it wouldn't be dealing with human beings anymore and choice and free will and values and morals and so on. And so naturally, uh, everybody wants to get to this realm of physics. They think it's going to close off the debate. But the only thing that's relative to physics is physical matter alone, right? Without the <laughs> confusing mess called human consciousness that throws a span in the whole works of mere physics. And you need a philosophy like discipline for the same reason that you need a philosophy like nutrition for human beings, but you don't need a philosophy called nutrition or a methodology called nutrition for rocks because rocks don't eat, human beings eat, 
and you don't need uh, necessarily a uh, nutrition that you're going to lecture ants on what to eat because they'll basically eat whatever spills off the kid's ice cream cone. So human beings are in a unique position, and this is why we need philosophy. Uh, we can never get external values, external blah, blah, blah. I mean, there's no laws of physics out there that dominate human behavior. Otherwise, we'd all be determinists, and there'd be no such thing as philosophy. Philosophy is you attempt to encourage people to think more rationally or just to think rationally, to, to use empiricism, to listen to the evidence, and to have that which they claim to be universal actually be universal. So the fact that there's no values out there, it's like, well, of course there, are, there aren't, right? I mean, there's gravity out there. There's uh, the inverse square law operating uh, out there. There's uh, a wide variety of you know, electromagnetic forces all operating out there, independent of human consciousness, for sure. But there's nothing to do with ethics. Ethics is centered around the capacity of human beings to choose. And um, we want, I'd like human beings to make better choices, uh, which is why I sort of lay out ethical theories that are universal and empirical and consistent and rational and accord with our basic concepts of good and bad, like, you know, don't hit, don't steal, don't rape, don't, don't uh, kill and so on. So the idea that there are no values out there, uh, I, I don't know, somehow this is considered to be a negative for philosophy, but um, it's like saying we don't need nutrition because rocks don't have stomachs. It's like, of course, rocks don't have stomachs. Human beings have stomachs and human beings can make choices about what to eat. Uh, and yes, values don't exist out there in the universe like the laws of physics do. That's exactly why there's a, such a thing as moral philosophy, uh, because it's specific to human beings and their capacity to choose. And yeah, human beings will make bad choices. But the better the moral case you make, I think the better choices people can make. But I'm not making any of those arguments. I mean, look, I really appreciate Wait, hang on, hang on. You were talking about Ayn Rand's values out there, right? Values, yes. objective values out there. No. So no, are no, you no, no, not no. making that argument? No, I didn't say that the values existed out there. I said that what Ayn Rand said was that people had to, not even had to value, but that generally people valued one thing, which are universally valued one major thing, which was living, or and that um, because they valued living, that rationality was one of the biggest, uh, one of the best tools to enhance living. Therefore, it was a virtue, and then, then she derived some other virtues from that too, and uh, and um, and immoralities. And the reason why um, she failed in her ethical theory was because the value was subjective. Not every moral agent valued living, and or at least I don't at, think that's why. At least, I don't think that's why she failed. I, don't, I mean, certainly everyone who's alive must value living over dying because dying is what happens when you don't do anything to sustain life. You know, eat, you don't, right? So, yeah, but so no, I, I, think I think she failed because... That's why I sorry, think... I'm sorry. That's why... Um, I mean, the, I, that's why I think the solution to your, your, your moral theory is because the latter half of this book, when you get into the ethical categories and the, the maxims and the, and, and the logic for um, defining... Uh, good and stuff once you have the value makes a lot of sense i mean it's it's a quantum leap forward in ethics but the, the problem i'm having is with i mean if i could if i could resolve in myself the whole upb thing i would totally um accept the rest of your theory okay, but let's just jump back to to rand to yeah, me yeah. rand failed because the pope is rich okay Right. So she says life is the highest standard of value. That which is rational best serves life. And therefore, we should have rationality as our highest standard of value because that's what best serves life. But the Pope is very rich and the Pope did not get rich by pursuing relentless rationality and empiricism. And so the idea that there's just like one kind of human being and that like is the R versus K thing and a bunch of other things, too. 
But the idea that there's one sort of one human being and we just all need to be rational and uh, that's going to be best for everyone, that's not the case at all. There are people who are much better at emotional manipulation than they are at critical thinking. There are people who are much better at uh, evoking a crowd's fear and hatred and thus getting resources uh, from them uh, through a variety of, of rhetorical devices and so on from from religion to you know some more hysterical aspects of government science and you know some economic doom porn and stuff like that so yeah there are lots of people who are really really great at manipulating other people to get resources and in fact they are much better at manipulating people in terms of the resources they can get than they ever would be just competing rationally just think of your average priest who's got the thrilling voice and the gestures and knows how to impact an audience and say okay Go be a physicist. Is your income going to go up or down? Well, it's going to go down. And it may, in fact, never go back up because that's how his gene set or his personality type or his choices, that's what he's adapted himself to. And human beings are competing and warring set of tribes. And by that, I don't mean ethnicities necessarily, but it's just various competing capacities. Uh, Politicians attempt to lie and thrill and frighten people into giving them resources. Priests do the same thing. And again, certain aspects of crazy government science does the same thing. Uh, Some advertisers do the same thing like, ooh, you know, buy these sunglasses and you'll look like this great looking guy with the sunglasses, <laughs> you know, just stupid stuff like that, right? And um, if, if you don't have a Prada bag, <laughs> you've lost status or, you know, if you don't have a six pack of abs, then yeah, right? So the idea that rationality is an equivalent survival strategy for every one of the wide variety of subspecies within the human condition is not, um, is not, is not valid. I mean, it'd be nice if everyone was rational, but they're not. And there are particular evolutionary advantages to being anti-rational, which is why um, if you look at uh, Jewish history, um, particularly from sort of the 14th century onwards, uh, the rabbis, again, not exactly paragons of scientific and rational inquiry, uh, rabbis accumulated the most resources and had the most children. And so from an evolutionary standpoint for Ayn Rand to say, well, reason is man's, you know, life is highest standard of value. Reason best serves life's values and so on. It's like, no, uh, for quite a lot of times in society, the least rational reproduce the most or people who are not dedicated towards rationality reproduce the most. Maybe she just didn't know enough about evolutionary biology. Um, I mean, who knows, right? I mean, she did spend a lot of time indoors. <laughs> so all I can say is that uh, I don't think it's successful because if you just look across the world, um, you know, people who are the smartest and most rational are breeding the least these days and people with the lower IQs are, you know, reproducing like, uh, you know, rabbits dropped in a Petri dish of uh, sperm and porn. And so um, I don't think that that uh, argument uh, follows particularly well. No. And the Mormons, for God's sakes, right? I mean, look, I don't, I don't, I'm not, I'm not an objectivist, but when I came across your seven categories, I realized that this kind of fixes it because you split, you split aesthetically positive. You make the split of aesthetically positive, sorry, personally positive, aesthetically positive, and good based off of um, the logic behind you know something being enforceable versus not enforceable, or something being um, universally preferable uh, but not enforceable, and then not not universally preferable, but you like it and. Um, she would just split it into what is good for life and what is bad for life, and that would be the um, the determinant. But and you wouldn't need philosophy if that could be bad, because biology selects that which is good for life. And if rationality were always that which is good for life, everybody would mostly be rational, right? In the same way, having two legs is really good for a human life. 
because, you know, three, <laughs> it's just crazy. And uh, so biology selects through evolution that which is good for life. And so the idea that Ayn Rand would regularly say, well, the vast majority of people are, ir- are irrational, but rationality is really great for life. It's like, well, shouldn't <laughs> evolution have taken care of this for us? Uh, and so, um, uh, yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I don't I, think that she solves it. No, I, I'm not saying she solves it. I'm saying these ethical categories solve it because she identified, and I think correctly, the universal value, which was living. And you correctly identified how you could, through logic, how you could split um, aesthetically positive and good, which was um, a enforceable through violence. That's, that's your split. You could put things like rationality into an aesthetically positive because you could prove rationality as a universally preferable to the means of the quality of life, but you couldn't put it as the good. It wasn't evil for you to be irrational. It was just aesthetically, aesthetically negative. That's why I think your, yes. your categories solve her problem, but your ethical categories only matter when there is a universal value in the first place, which is living. No, it's, it's not. No, look, there's tons of people who kill themselves. There are tons of people who sacrifice dead. their they're own lives for other people. They're not moral no, But they agents. make the choice to sacrifice their life for some other goal. It doesn't there are matter. people who sacrifice. I'm sorry? It doesn't matter. Because if life is the highest standard of value, then wouldn't we do everything possible to maintain it and not kill ourselves for the sake of some other value? No, it's not that life is the highest value. It's that life is the universal value, as in every moral agent, everyone who can be considered a moral agent values living. The, those who but are dead or, how do you how do you explain suicide bombers? They're dead. They're not moral agents yeah. anymore. Oh my god. Oh my god. You can't you can't be this dense. Come on. Do you not think they make the choice to strap on some explosive and blow themselves up? Of course they do, but until the moment that they die, they still value living. I don't even know what to say to that. That's I don't like the idea that they're just about to push a button and blow themselves up, but they value living because until the still, moment that they push the button they still and then need, they don't because they're dead. Come on, man. Are you saying no, there's no difference between somebody fighting to live and somebody who's strapping on a bomb to blow themselves up? I'm talking about the means. Look, if the goal is to blow. No, yourself, are you saying there's no fundamental moral difference in terms of the value of life, their own value of their own life between these guys? It doesn't these matter. Two people. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I'll give you an example. I'll tell you exactly how, to the moment where he pushes the button and he dies, that he values life. Because if the me- I'm sorry, if the goal is to blow up a building, you still need to be alive to do that. You still need to, or if it's even just the, the no, crate. You have sorry, to I'm die sorry. to I'm do sorry. that. I know, I know. You have well, to look, die to do that. Right, and you still have, <laughs> let, me, let me explain. If, if the goal is to say, give, is, is to kill yourself, right, to for the, the, I don't even know how many virgins in heaven, um, and you need to do that, and the way you could do that is to blow yourself up. You still need to live to get to that goal. No matter what your goal is in life, you have to live first. And once you, even, once you, even in situations no, where you're no, going dude, to die. Dude, if your goal is to blow up the building, you have to die. But the means... And his goal is to blow up the building, and therefore he must die to achieve that. Yes, but in, until he dies he has to value living because he has to be able oh my to god live if, to you, do if you that. repeat this again i'm just going to move on to the next caller you're just repeating the same things over and over again i fully it's accept so he has to live in order to blow himself up he can't blow himself up if he's dead yeah i got it unless there's a kill switch i don't know but so what are you saying there's no difference between someone who's going down to the marketplace to get a latte 
and really, really is enjoying the day and wants to have a wonderful life and some guy with a detonating vest on blah, blah, blah. I mean, are you saying that there's no difference in their value for their own lives? Um, Let's take the example with a latte, like you just said. Okay. Now, the person going to get the latte wants the latte. That's the goal, right? And to go get the latte, they have to be alive, right? And and if getting the latte, hang on, and if getting the latte meant that they had to die, would they want the latte? No. No. Okay. Now, the guy who wants to blow up the building is willing to die to do it. So the guy who wants the latte won't accept death to get to the latte. But the guy who wants to blow up the building will welcome and embrace and initiate his own suicide in order to blow up the building. Because dying is still, in the circumstances that you're talking about, dying is still an action. Dying is an action. Gotcha. Yes. Okay. So what? And so if dying is an action and you need a means to that action, and if the means is universally preferable, which means you prefer or value that mean to that end, to achieve that end, and life is required to die, then you have to value life to die. You have to value life to give up your own life and blow up some people, just like you have to value life to walk. He's not valuing life, for God's sakes, man. You don't, dis- you don't say, I value this painting and then set fire to the goddamn thing. He's not valuing life because he's destroying it. What he's valuing is his time in heaven or the aforementioned virgins or maybe a relief from the agony of being who he is or maybe it's compliance with his mother who tried to strangle, strangle him 14 times a day in his crib. I don't know. Maybe he's got voices in his head telling him to kill himself. But it is not life that he is valuing. It is something else that he's willing to sacrifice his life for. So if I go to get a latte, I don't value the fact that I have two legs and can walk to go to the store to get the latte. I did, that's just, I have no idea what you're talking about. I'm still talking about the means. You have to always no, value your means. I just means. made an argument. What are, you, what, are you, what are you talking about legs for? Because You can't just make parallel arguments saying, and think what, that you've responded to anything. I argu- just made an argument. You need to okay. respond to the argument. The argument that I believe you're making, and if, if I'm wrong, please correct me, is that... Um, you don't have to value the means to value the end. That's the argument you're making, right? No. Well, what, what argument? I'm just curious what you heard. What argument did I just make? Because, you know, in a debate, it's also important said, to have ears, right? So no, what argument said, did I just make? You said that the guy wants to blow himself up, so he, he, the, the, he, want, he values that more than he values his life because he wants to die so if he wants no, to die he doesn't want to die he wants something other than his life or something is a religion. higher value than his life because the, i mean a lot of the suicide bombers of course religiously motivated they think that they're going to go to a better place or people who kill themselves because they're so unhappy they seek an, an end to their suffering which is preferable to a continuation of their suffering so there's a value in direct opposition to their own continued existence that they prefer to their life which is, you know, has 72 virgins or an end to their suffering or whatever it is. Right. And so what you're saying is that there is a value or a goal or an end and that the means, which is living, um, you, can, you can value the goal, you can value the end, which is the 70, whatever, not even know the number of virgins is, but, um, but you don't have to value the means, which is living. Because living is part of the means. No, you must die. It's not like you don't value it. It's like you are willing to sacrifice it. You're willing to destroy it. 
but you st- I, 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 you're not answering the question. The if you have the goal, I didn't hear a question. What was your question? I, I asked you whether or not the argument, or whether or not you have to value the means to value the end. I have no idea what you're talking about. I, 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 I'm sorry, I don't know what you mean by means and ends here. So the end is to die, and the, sorry, the end is oh. to get the seventy-two virgins. Yeah, that's the end. Okay. Now, if we had a similar case where the end was to get a latte, right? You have two ends, which is um, to get 72 virgins and to get a latte. Now, to get a latte, you have to have a car or you know some more means of transportation, and you have to you have to be living to go get a latte. You have to have money and all this stuff, right? Um, now, for each means that it takes to get a latte, you have to first value the means because you value the latte. Because to get the latte, you have to have all these other things in order to get the latte. So you have to value these things in order to obtain the end, which is the latte. And now in the case with the 72 virgins, living, part of getting the 72 virgins in this case is dying. Okay, So dying is part of the end, part of the ends. Or you know, actually dying in this case would actually be part of the means. But, um, but you also have to live to get to that end. First, you have to live. Okay, I told you if you brought this up again, everyone's alive until they die. Can we just not repeat that fucking point again or I'm going to just shoot myself, okay? I agree. Everyone's alive until they die. Okay. I'm just telling you there's a, there's a T in so, the road. Okay, One so. leads left where you get to live and the other leads right where you get to be cleaned up by a bomb disposal squad a couple of hours later when your bits of you are dripping from the ceiling. And so one leads to life and a continued enjoyment of future lattes and the other leads to a sticky and gory end which you value higher than your own continued existence. And if you don't know that there's an opposition in values to that which allows for the continuation of your own life and that through you are directly choosing the end of your own life, I don't even know what to say to you. Like, I, I, you, there's no amount of sophistry that's going to take that bold choice. You're just basically saying that north and south are exactly the same. <laughs> I just don't even know what to say. Uh, this isn't an argument. I mean, you, I, I just said, I just said that and you, uh, at least, I, but you didn't bring up the objection to the latte case that if you wanted the latte, you would have to value all those means. Correct. Let's just say five bucks. Okay, so if you want a latte, you need yeah. five bucks. You need five so bucks. you value the five bucks as a means for getting your latte. Yeah, and until and until you get the latte, you have to value the five bucks. Until you get the latte in your hand and start drinking it, you have to value the five bucks. Now, do you admit and agree that when you hand the $5 over to get the latte, that you are valuing the latte more than your $5? Yes, at that point. Then, then you have lost the case, right? No, now. I haven't. Because You absolutely have. You may not be aware of it, but the whole floor, the whole trapdoor of logic just opened up well, underneath you. Let me explain. Um, to get, okay, I'm going to give you a few more minutes, but okay. not much more okay. than that, but go ahead. To get to the goal of the 72 virgins, you have to die. And to, the, to get to the goal of... Um, dying, you have to live. So until the point 
where you yeah. die. Until right? you hand over your $5 for the latte, I yes. fully agree so, that you value the $5. Right. So, uh, and then you're willing to hand it over for the latte, which means you prefer the latte to your $5, which then, means that you what? have a higher value than your $5 in the same way. And when you kill yourself, you have a preference for non-existence over life. And then once a person dies, they're no longer a moral agent. So it doesn't matter. Got it. Okay. I'm going to move on to the next caller because I feel I'm done and dusted. But thank you very much for your call. It was very, very entertaining. All right. Sure. So let's move on to the next. All right. Well, up next is Sean. Sean wrote in and said, the right to bear arms and the use of firearms for self-defense is fundamental to being a free-thinking, self-reliant human being. When did the shift to championing weakness, passivity, and a victim mindset become mainstream? That's from Sean. Sean, I believe you may be asking a leading question (laughs) or two. Um, How you doing? Good. How you doing? Thanks for having me on. I love the show. Well, thank you. I'm happy to not be armed at the moment. Um, all right. So, um, what was your first? The first point was that um, you you ha- what you have to be armed to be like a good person. Yeah, but having uh, reread the question that I posed, it, it was more about kind of a lead into having the ability to defend yourself as kind of a uh, kind of a core tenant to defend yourself from what uh, people trying to harm you. Yeah. I don't know how you can do that for the most part in life though. Okay. Uh, I mean the vast majority of harm that we experience is the initiation of force known as taxation or government regulation and so on. And you can't defend yourself against that. Right. Uh, yeah, no, I, it was really leading up to, I think the second part of the question was more of what I was getting at, and that was my personal subjective opinion is I see more and more of a kind of a, a passive victim, uh, have someone else help uh, help me kind of approach to uh, living in general, just based on some of the, the comments and things I've seen from friends, family. Oh, yeah. No, coworkers. listen, the, the people in charge would much rather the people not be armed. Of course, right? It, it, it's tough to get the old dictatorship rolling if people have got uh, got weapons on them, right? Which is why the precursor to every dictatorship is a, system, is a systematic disarming of the population. And, uh, you know, I, I think, like, if people like Obama want to say, hey, <laughs> guns are bad, guns cause crime, it's like, okay, would you like to take some of the U.S. military out of places like, say, Okinawa or Germany or, say, just about every sand particle in the desert in the Middle East? Or would you like to stop selling arms around the world? You know, boy, no background checks at gun sales. How about gun sales from the U.S. military? Do you do any background checks on those people? Oh, do you have an atrocious human rights record? Do you systematically oppress women and children? And do you draft men and have them thrown into the sand, flea-bitten desert combats that last forever? Yes, I'm looking at you, Iran and Iraq in the 80s. Where are the background checks for government arms sales? They don't exist. Got a check? Is that stolen blood money from the twisted gonads of the last remnants of freedoms of your domesticated population? Great. That's all we need. Do you have the power to pay us more with blood money? Great. That's all we need. Hey, did you ever get a parking ticket? No guns for you because you're not Saudi Arabia who's so responsible with their use of weaponry. So no. Uh, and also if you if were to say, you know, I've, um, I've actually just decided to arm my secret service that surrounds me with flowers 
And I'm going to give them pamphlets on how bad it is to use guns to commit crime. I'm sure I'll be super safe. So, uh, yeah, I just wanted to mention that um, uh, the governments, of course, will never, ever give up their guns. Because guns for governments, super great. Guns for private individuals, well, you see, that's just plain dangerous. Right. And I, yeah, I, I understand. I agree with that for sure. I think what what startles or bothers me the most is how I guess I see it trickled down into kind of like the everyday person that I talk to, at least in what bubble I live in, uh, as far as kind of a, there's just kind of an embracing of, of fear and, and don't, you don't want to protect yourself. Like it's, I don't know. I don't know if it's just buying. It's not, no, it's not, it's not about guns fundamentally. If you don't mind me interrupting Sean. No, go ahead. It's bab. It's, it's B, it's the BAB principle, just BAB. BAB. And BAB, BAB is very simple. It's just three simple syllables through which the modern world is blindingly illuminated. And it goes something like this. Are you ready, Sean? I'm ready. Balls are bad. <laughs> okay. Balls are just plain bad. You know, we're working on a presentation about Japanese sex robots because, hey, we might as well use my Google search history for something. <laughs> And people are saying, oh, you see, that's so dehumanizing because, I mean, they're just sex robots. They're really just for sex. And so it's bad because, you see, it's objectifying sex and turning women into holes that just to be plugged up like liquid Drano. And I don't even know if these guys are going to run these sex robots through the dishwasher or whether they're going to shake my hand after tousling that Japanese-style weird Barbie hair. I just don't know, but it's bad, 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 bad. Why is it bad? It's bad because balls are involved. That's why it's bad. Anti-ballism is just staggering. Uh, everybody is just so ballist. Because, Jesus Christ... I don't know if you spend a lot of time in sex shops, but I was in my 20s once. And let me tell you something. It's like being an ant going through a giant lawn of bodiless dildos going in there, right? I mean, it's insane. You know, if you think about it, the women who are complaining about the Japanese sex robots, it's like, do you know what male sex toys come with? A fucking head, literally. You know what female sex toys don't come with? Anything other than a giant cock. Oh, but you see, men are dehumanizing women by have eyes that they can <laughs> gaze into as they lovingly thrust their horrifying shafts of dumbstickness into the open velvet mouth of the Japanese sex robot. That's really, really bad. But you see, a vibrating cock run by batteries with no body attached to it at all well, that's just a woman exploring her own sexuality. <laughs> you know, like, I mean, if there's a face attached, it's a little bit more humanized than what uh, women are pleasuring themselves with, which really looks like something that a tiny NASA should be sending to fucking Pluto. But anyway, so, um, yeah, I just wanted... So balls yep. are bad. See, if men do it, it's bad. And what do men do? Well, men like guns a little bit more. They're bad. Balls are in proximity, therefore bad. And if, <clears throat> if men like pornography... It's bad and it's exploitive and that lighting is terrible. What are you all having sex in a pharmacy? For God's sakes, I don't need to see everybody's moles and broken bones. That's bad. You see, pornography is bad. But you see, if women like women getting beaten up for sex, well, that's just kinky, sexual, housewife, exploring your own darker side, 50 shades of gray bondage. It's erotica. 
It's erotic porn. That's males. That's got balls attached to it, or at least balls shaking near it. Bad. Ah, but you see, if it's Fifty Shades of Grey and women are going, ooh, in their own bathtubs while imagining some Viking taking them through a wall, well, see, that's just exploring your own sexuality. And it's just lovely, isn't it? Delicate and thrilling and wonderful. I mean... <laughs> 46% of women think about someone else during sex. 40, 45% of them are thinking of me. And in fact, they just want me to go down on them, so I'll shut up. That's just a whole different other kind of thing. But uh, yeah, this is just balls are bad. Balls are bad. Got balls? You got bad. You're just wrong. You're bad. I mean, if there's any castanet squishy sounds around, it's bad. If there's any padding around with like... um. Vaginas, it's wonderful. They walk on water. We on the very, we walk on the very eyeballs of the innocent and the depths of hell itself. So I don't think it's anything particular to do with guns, other than guns remind women of men, and men are bad, and therefore guns must be bad. Okay, so that that skips way ahead of other things I was going to talk about. So, is there a way to fight against that kind of mindset? I guess the reason sure. I say that. Is because when I've, I've had conversations that have come up, unlike I have more of a mindset to try to change the person's mind instead of just, you know, label them as an idiot and kind of move on with my life. But I mean, is there a way to reverse that kind of approach or is it just kind of an uphill battle that's not going to get changed short of something? Well, no, I mean, the government has to run out of vagina bribe money, right? That's what's got to happen. I mean, the, the relationships between the genders are so viciously distorted by the giant alpha NASA dick of the state squirting molten tax money all over the women that they have no possible conception of what it is to actually have a positive and useful relationship with a man object. Men are tax slaves for women as a whole, right? There's lots of great women out there. This is very much a generalization. But so what? Doesn't mean it's invalid, right? Generalization. Asians are short. I know it's all Asian. Now out. Well, okay, go find your unicorn. But the reality is that the, the government has bought the hearts and minds and souls of so many women that the idea that women can shit all over men because men aren't there voluntarily. Right? Expecting women as a whole to be nice to men as a whole these days is sort of like expecting the slave owner to be really nice to the field hands. <laughs> Doesn't really work that. Yeah, it'll happen occasionally. But I wouldn't put a lot of money on it. And until all of that normalizes, right? I mean, women are going to ride the giant alpha cock of the state right into financial oblivion. And then things are going to right themselves. And when the, when the checks stop coming and the vampire squid sucking tentacle teeth vaginas of the single moms in particular unclamp themselves from the giant <laughs> constitutional uh, state. And they're going to have to sort of squelch on over and attach themselves to some other men. Uh, but it's going to have to be voluntary. And then when you have voluntary relationships, you can have quality relationships. And if you don't have voluntary relationships, you can't have any kind of quality or any kind of appreciation. And so right now, uh, women are in the category of, um, you know, the Soviet captains of industry. The customers are all captive and nobody has uh, any choice in the matter. Uh, they can, um, you know, wave around their pheromones and vaginas when they're young, thus dazing men into acting against reason, common sense, and experience and getting often married to these unstable people. And then what they can do is if they get unhappy, well, they can just sick the dogs of the state on them because you see men are just, women are so independent, they don't need men unless there's any kind of problem, in which case, who do they call? Quite a lot of men with guns because apparently that's called being equal and liberated. 
and then they can get the state to give them lots of money. Or if some guy bangs them and runs off, well, they don't have to worry about it because uh, the government's going to swoop in and take care of all of that uh, mess for them. And, uh, and uh, so that's, you know, women don't have to be that nice, which is why you see these just endless and boring and repetitive and relentless insults upon a man's intelligence. Like I watched, God help me, a confusing mess of a film with uh, a uh, George Clooney who seems like he's gone through a time dilation machine and aged in about 10 years. I don't know what Emil's doing to him, but it's not injecting him with youth serum. But uh, I watched this film called Tomorrowland, and uh, I thought maybe I'd been re- it had been recommended as something to review. And <laughs> oh my god, um, this girl—I don't know—she's fifteen or something like that. She's fifteen. And she, now her father is a NASA engineer, NASA engineer, and a guy. Now guys, of course, do very well on visual spatial recognition. They are way ahead of women as far as that goes. And at the very top tiers of intelligence, uh, men outnumber women by about eight to one. And at the very bottom tier, so in the bell curve of intelligence, women's is much more narrow and men's is much more spread out, which is why there are more men who get uh, Nobel Prizes in physics and more men who are homeless. And um, anyway, so this is that there's NASA. uh, He's a NASA engineer and he's trying to figure out something and he's just staring at it like some physical contraption he's put together. NASA engineer. He's got to be in his early 40s. He's highly educated. Been working at NASA for a long time. You know, clearly he's skilled at this. He's in the very top percentiles of male visuospatial reasoning. He's got years of experience, years and years of education, and he's trying to puzzle something out. His 15-year-old daughter walks into the room, and she just doesn't even, barely even glances at what he's working on, moves one connector from one place to the other, and it all just works. Tiny split second, they vastly outstrip NASA engineers with 20 years of education and experience without even barely having to glance at it. And this is what you see, this unbelievable, relentless, insane appeal to female vanity. You know, there's an old saying that nobody ever went broke underestimating the intelligence of the American public. And I'll tell you something else, people. Nobody ever went broke underestimating women's capacity to drink up sycophantic vanity. You know, it's like in 101 Dalmatians. Why are you? You're such a sycophant. Why are you such a sycophant? What's the matter with you? And he's like, oh, what kind of sycophant do you want me to be? And this is, uh, if somebody praises me too much, I start to get nauseous. Like, I start to feel like, get your creepy little, uh, you know, forehead-tugging, manipulative uh, stuff out of my brain. I push back with with excessive praise because, you know, it's basically a precursor to getting robbed blind. Ladies who are listening to political speeches, but that's a topic for another time. But women, unbelievable. They'll just drink it up. They'll just drink it up. Like, in this movie, there's this little girl who weighs, I don't know, all of about 11 pounds, and she's taking on giant robots and, and winning, and giant guys and winning. And it's like, well, there's a reason that WWF doesn't hugely mix, uh, WWE doesn't hugely mix the genders. There's the reason why wrestling and, and weightlifting all that break up the genders, because men, even untrained, have about 40% more upper body strength than women. But women in the video games, and they can do everything, and they're geniuses, and there's no limitations, and they have no vanity, and they're totally reliable, and they're fantastic, and they're hot, and they're smart, and they're physically, they can do anything, and they can drop into and beat up people in kung fu movies who've had 20 years of jujitsu experience, because they, I don't know, looked at a cereal box where a guy was bending over. They can just go in and beat Everyone else, you know, Ronda Rousey's not fighting John Jones, for God's sakes, because it would be a pretty short fight, and she's great, but she's not that guy. 
And the fact that women can just sit there with this endless flattery pouring in and not go like, hey, I think we're being played. It's like, is there, you know, I, I drop a fucking sponge in the ocean. I don't expect the sponge to drink up the ocean. I expect at some point it's going to get saturated and start oozing seawater back out again. But you drop women into an endless sea of flattery, they soak up the entire goddamn planet of water. I mean, they suck the vapor out of the sky. They suck the viscosity out of my eyeballs and I got to use eye drops because it's just like <laughs> giant sucking sound of women sucking up all the vanity in the known universe all the praise oh you guys are women are wonderful you guys are so great it's like I was talking about the movie Inside Out the women have all the sensitive loving empathetic feelings what do the guys get paranoia and rage <laughs> it's like at some point I mean I'm waiting for this moment where the sponge starts shitting out some seawater. Like, I'm just, I'm just waiting for the moment where women say, okay, okay, come on. That's too much. You know, we're right. not that great. <laughs> you know, come on. I mean, we have a flaw or two. Don't we? Don't we, girls? But instead, it's just, it's like a bottomless hole. You could just grind up male testicles, get this giant hose of emasculated ex-manhood and just pour it down this hole in the ground. And it just, what does it go out into space at the other end? That's like, when does it, when is it enough? When do women start rolling their eyes when a guy can't figure out the remote? <laughs> and the women are just like, oh, you just do this, <laughs> right? I mean, when do women, when is it enough? When is your vanity fed to the point where you get sick? How much fucking candy can you eat before you start shitting M&Ms out of your ears? Like, holy shit, I just I had to get this rant off my chest because I was just looking at it the other day. Like, I, I just maybe I just saw one too many commercials where the guy was a complete moron. Or maybe I just saw one too many women can do everything without training, whereas men are just trailing along like lost little puppy dogs. It's like, oh, my God. I mean, or maybe I've just been reading Human Accomplishment by Charles Murray too much. I don't know. But it's something like along these things. And it's just like, ladies, do you ever get sick of people blowing smoke up your ass? you got so much smoke up your ass, you're basically Venus by now. And I don't mean Venus the goddess. I mean Venus the corroded, acidic, sulfuric acid, barren rock closer to the sun than we are. Ah, ladies, let it be enough. Let it be enough, dear God. <laughs> it's, like, it's like Hitler at Nuremberg. It's like, wait, there aren't enough Germans here. <laughs> Can we find some more? Can we import some? I think there were some in <laughs> Georgia. Anyway, all right, so um, the idea that you can normalize this without the state running out of money to bribe women, well, when the state runs out of money, women who want to have kids, women who don't want to have kids can do whatever they want, of course, but if you want to have kids and you want to be a good mom, well, then you need a guy who's going to provide for you. Maybe you go provide for the guy. I don't know, maybe he can be stay at home, but for the first two years, it really should be you because, you know, you come with the milk trucks on the, on the chest. And so um, this, is, this is another thing, too, where uh, they, women just have no sense of limitations. No sense of limitations. Like they consider it a personal insult that you can't be in two places at the same time. Like somehow not only every man, woman, and child uh, uh, on, the, uh, on the planet needs to bow to women five times a day as if they're Mecca and we're hysterical religionists, but also reality itself has to, to bow to women. Like I was reading this article the other day about, you know, well, I'm a single mom, but I work two jobs and I'm going to school. It's like, then you're a shitty mom because you're doing all that stuff and not taking care of your kids. And if you're taking care of your kids the amount that you're supposed to, then you're not going to be very good in the workforce. And you shouldn't be because you can't parent and work at the same time. But women have been so 
it's so destructive. It's so enabling. It's so like telling someone with a shitty voice they're the best singer ever. It really is the most unbelievably destructive thing that you can do for any group of people as a whole. But women, it's like nobody says there are limitations. And women are genuinely and deeply shocked. And I see this all the time, all the time when I do these videos on single moms. Well, you see, I'm a single mom, but I do all of this stuff, too, and I've not taken a dime from the government. And I have a sick help. Okay, then you're working two jobs. You're a shitty mom. Sorry, you're not there. You're not there. I lived that. I know what that's like. You're a shitty mom. If you're a good worker, if you've got kids and you're a good worker, you're a shitty mom. No, it's quality time. No, it's not. No, it's not. We didn't evolve for, like, bungee parenting. Well, kids... I'm going to leave you in the woods with a sharpened stick. Hope the bears don't come by. I'll be back tomorrow for 15 to 20 minutes of block time. We'll call that excellent parenting. That's so R-selected. I mean, God, quality time is just the most ultimate R-selected bunch of crap that I've ever heard. And so the, the idea that there's any kind of limitations on women. Well, there's a, 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 a gender gap in pay. It's like, yes, there is. Because men work harder than women. Sorry. It's a fact. It's a reality. Reality is sexist, and then you need a you need a hug room because two and two make four, and this is supposed to be empowering to women. God, give me a like a, a, you know an Iron Maiden, Phyllis Schlafly, Ann Coulter, Margaret Thatcher, Ayn Rand, goddess of power, anytime over these like. Well, what do you mean I can't be in two places at the same time, and that makes me either a bad mom or a bad worker? <laughs> And then apparently tears just dissolve balls. This is like how you reduce balls. You just sand them down with endless female tears and hysteria. Ugh, I don't know. Anyway, so I don't know how to solve it because it, there's no amount of rhetoric that can overcome financial incentive. You know, you really shouldn't cash in that lottery ticket because you see that's from taxes. Yeah, yeah, good luck, right? You can't. I mean, you can't. And so where the financial incentive exists, reason and evidence will just go to die a quiet and withering death, you know, like a fungus in direct sunlight or something that needs sunlight underneath the fungus. Don't go where you're in direct contradiction to um, direct financial incentive. Forget it. People, you know, they're not stupid. They just follow the money. They follow the financial incentive and they make up all this bullshit behind them. You know, can, can, can we get a reasonably open and critical and competent intellectual set of debates in society? No. No, because of academia. Because all of the smart people are captured by the state and bribed to become slowly degenerating idiots, with the exception of everyone who's ever been on this show or whoever will be on this show. Want to put make that very clear. But for the most part, the corrosive effect of the corruptions of government power. And I just did a video about this for more of this. Uh, but um, the corrosive effects of, of government monopoly power over intellectuals has just meant that there's absolutely uh, nothing but um, vicious petty fiefdom internecine religious warfare between people of various ideologies who never have to sand down the rough edges of those ideologies through the complicated and challenging interaction with people who may not give a shit about what you do and you have to provide value to them no matter what. So um, love women as a whole, and I, I don't blame women as a whole for ending up this way. I don't even blame culture that much for ending up uh, this way. It's just what happens when you put these balls in motion, so to speak, when you start channeling trillions of dollars to women or trillions of dollars to whoever. It's just going to change who they are. It's going to change how they act. It's not that women are bad. It's just that this is it's like, it's like calling Soviet factory workers lazy. It's like, nope, they pretend to pay us. 
and we pretend to work. And so it's not anybody's fault and it's not about women being bad. It's just that when this all change, when this all changes, when the government runs out of money, well, we'll see. And then things will become normalized. But the idea you're going to do it with a Facebook post, I think might be a bit, uh, you know, if you get a fo- if you can get a Facebook post, this is my challenge, get a Facebook post that is so compelling that let's just pick a state. People in California who have ridiculously overpaid government pensions decide to cut them by half and return half of that money back to the treasury because, you know, uh, it's not the kid's fault that they, you know, taking all this money from the, from the uh, young people is unfair and so on. If you get a Facebook post that radically reduces, say, CalPERS uh, expenditures uh, on, on pensions, okay. Uh, but I'd really, I got better things to do with my life than try and talk people out of their own naked self-interest because it kind of grosses you out. When you come up against naked self-interest with people, what happens is they eject a huge amount of bullshit at you to justify their own naked self interest. I paid into the system. Well, you know you're taking out many times more than you paid in. Well, that's the contract that I signed. I didn't force anyone to sign it. Actually, the taxpayers are forced to pay for it against their will, and it's really stripping the young people of their economic opportunities. Well, I got obligations. Well, so do the young people, and right, all that sort of shit. Well, I, I had a boring job for 30 years just waiting for this. Yeah, it sucks sometimes. You know, I studied for uh, uh, computers, and then the bottom fell out of the computer industry. Yeah, sometimes it happens. You know, people uh, start housing companies, and then and the Fed destroys the housing market. It happens. Stuff changes too bad, right? But all that happens when you go against people's naked self-interest is you realize the degree to which uh, intellectualism or philosophy or values is all just a bunch of bullshit that is designed to cover the naked robotic power cash grab of whatever public money might be currently rolling out of the government's armpit. So um, if you've got a stomach for that, you're a stronger man than I. Yeah. uh, Wow. Yeah, you touched on a whole bunch of stuff that I wasn't even going to go into, but uh, including my balls. Yes, you don't. But uh, no, I mean, kind of spiraling out to the bigger issue with um, kind of the lionization of women, or the um, I guess that's the best best way I can put it. I didn't actually think about that in the context of the uh, firearms Second Amendment discussion, and now that you put it that way. Uh, connecting the dots a little bit more, uh, some very strong points. So, uh, yeah, it's more than guns. Yes, you know, obviously it's far guns more. are phallic and they they're loaded and they shoot and all that, but uh, uh, it's more than that. Is anything masculine related uh, is just considered to be really really bad. Yeah, and the and, the media uh, forms with the the superhero women that weigh eighty pounds and take down giants, and it's funny because I didn't really think about it until now, but I was wondering like where did this trend kind of come from? Like why has this become popular? You know, with the typical male gamers and all that, or the the media and so forth. I'm like, I just don't, I can't relate to it. I don't like it. Like, I'm not a fan. It's just silly to me. And putting yeah, it in I've this played one or I played one or two video games with like the <laughs> the ultimate female warrior and so on. And it's just like, oh my god, oh please, come on, come on, just give me okay. Let's let's mingle up uh, sumo wrestling and throw some <laughs> some anime characters in there and just see. They basically ended up as wedgies in the sumo wrestler's butt crack but <laughs> i don't know it's just it's just it's just very silly and and there's nothing to be done about it until right because people are going to follow their own economic self-interest you know like uh, what is considered to be bad for the environment it's always masculine stuff that's bad for the environment you see it's the fracking and it's the oil exploration and it's the derricks and it's the drilling and it's the giant ships it's all masculine stuff but who the fuck are they serving who are they serving I mean, think of the amount of single moms, the extra kids that they have, the welfare kids and so on. What kind of resource predation is that inflicting on the world? 
you know, how about women without husbands keep their fucking legs shut? I mean, I know this is a shocking thing for people to hear, but how about that? Or, you know, keep your legs open, but, uh, you know, put a uh, put a hat on the bishop, so to speak, right? Just do something that, you know, I don't know, make a tit taco. I don't care, right? But just do something where you don't end up with spooge in the egg. That's all. It's really bad for the environment. How about, you know, stop um, sucking up resources like an oil derrick in a new well uh, of, of oil? I mean, just, but it's all... Nobody ever says to women, listen, um, irresponsible procreation and um, uh, massive consumption of stupid material resources. Like if you ever really want to cry for a tree, then pick up a woman's magazines and flip through it and look for stuff that is even remotely useful for any kind of intellectual quality of human life. See, you pick up a Best Buy, you pick up a Future Shop, you pick up a Staples there's shit in there that it can actually make you smarter, right? Okay, you got some tablets, you know, you got some folders, you can put stuff in them that you, you know, you might conceivably have read. Uh, there's a dino labelers or whatever the hell the dynamo labelers. You can label shit, you know, at least there's some spelling involved in that and all of that. Like you pick up the guy's stuff. Look, we're building stuff. Look, I have to measure something. Look, it might make me a tiny bit smarter to build a deck, right? There's something, something, right? Pick up a woman's magazine and flip through it. And try and figure out any of that shit you would ever need on a desert island. I, I wouldn't mind having a tablet on a desert island, get some solar-powered batteries going. At least I could play Candy Crush until I shot myself. Or, you know, if you could build a deck on a desert island, useful. Hey, do you need a lot of eyeshadow on a desert island? How about a bag that's completely impractical? How about a Snoopy diamond-studded case for your cell phone? Is that really, really helpful? Ooh, you know what be great on a desert island? Different hair colors. Wouldn't that be great? Oh, also, if I could get that purse with a tiny dog inside, that would be a fantastic thing for the seagulls to eat. I mean, just, you know, it'd be great shoes that make no conceivable sense whatsoever, that put your ass on a shelf, make your calves look longer, and make you completely unable to run from predators. Fantastic. Love it. That'd be excellent. You know what else would be great? Celebrity gossip, because nothing helps you survive on a desert island, like knowing how Ben and Jennifer are doing. <laughs> I mean, it's just unbelievable well, like how flood, much too. useless – yeah, like how much, un, how much useless shit women consume. I've said this before and I'll say it again. Go to a mall, people. That is the death of Mother Nature right there. You know what a mall is? A mall is a big, giant tombstone on the face of Mother Nature. A, a, a mall is just, you know what, let's set fire to everything in the world and then turn it into shoes and handbags and jeans and some glittery fucking scarves that won't even scare off anything. I mean – that's what malls are, a big, giant fist and boot to the face of Mother Nature, all for useless shit that nobody ever needs, ever, anywhere, anytime, anyhow, in any conceivable way, shape, or form. You ever woke up one morning and said, you know what I really need? What I really, really need is jeans so tight it looks like I ran through a denim spray tanner. You know, like, Jesus Christ. You ever want to confuse a woman in a mall, take something out of a pocket, drop it on the ground and say, hey, you want to pick that up? Uh, I can't. I'll lose a leg. <laughs> I mean, Jesus God. <laughs> I mean, and, and people go to malls and they look at this stuff and they say, well, you know, men are really a big problem with consumption. You know, hey, beer's more natural than fucking Prada shoes or whatever the hell they make that shit out of. <laughs> I mean, unless you're actually going hip-waiting for disco, you don't need thigh-high space boots unless you're actually a porn actress. Jesus, God, go into these stores. 
How many feet do these people have? Are like a women's secretly centipedes? I can't understand it. What the hell is going on? How many trees have to die? How many birds have to have no nests? Because you need as many fucking shoes as you have hairs on your head. God almighty. Well, that extends over... That extends over into the males too, right? Like there's that expectation, like let's feminize the males. I, I don't know. It's like any, this is just personal experience, but like I've ran into that all the time. It's like, you know, there's that expectation that you need to be more feminized or be more passive, be less aggressive or masculine. And I I thought maybe it was just a temporary thing, but it seems like it's just, it's, it's always repeating itself. Listen, listen, man, all dependent organisms get paranoid. All dependent organisms get paranoid. That is absolutely natural. And the vast majority of women who are, you know, basically dependent, what are they dependent on? They're dependent on welfare. I'm not saying the vast majority of women are dependent on welfare. Just give me a, <laughs> give me a, uh, uh, give me a chance here, right? So women are dependent, are dependent on welfare. Women are dependent upon free government schools. Women are dependent upon Section 8 housing and food stamps. And also, women are enormously dependent upon government jobs. Like, it is insane how many women work for the government. The government is one giant explicit or implicit welfare program, insofar as it's either giving money directly to women or it's giving money to women through government jobs. And it's completely mental. And... They say, well, you see, women, women need mentors. Women need mentors to, to get ahead in business. You see, if they don't see any examples of successful women, they, they just they can't get ahead. Because yeah, I'm hearing because, that now at my own work. So, yeah. I'm right yeah, you, you know, you just you, you can't get ahead. They all fucking hate Ayn Rand. <laughs> That's, you know, topic for another time. Yeah. But, but here's the thing. Here's the thing. Ladies, not all ladies, love the women in my life. But here's the thing, ladies. If having a mentor and an example is so important for getting ahead, how about we break up the gynocracy, the mammocracy in children's education? How about not having like 98% of women, uh, of teachers being women for the first like seven years of a kid's educational experience? Because you see, mentors are very important. Mentors are so important. And you see a lot of these girls are growing up with moms in the home. See, the vast majority, not so many with the boys. See, the girls already have authority figures at home because they're moms. However, a lot of the irresponsible trash moms don't have the dads around because they either couldn't find a good man, wouldn't have sex with a good man, or drove a good man away. In which case, the boys are growing up without seeing an authoritative penis until they're well into their early teens. Right. And so the idea, well, you see, to, to, to get ahead, women, adult women, they need a lot of examples and, and tutors and mentors, and they need to know that blah, 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 right? How about society as a whole? How about, you know, just as a possibility, let's try exposing little boys to a male authority figure before their balls drop. You know, that's just a thought. It's just because it's a little confusing for a lot of the little boys. They, they, they really don't know what a male authority figure is. Oh, wait. Right. No, I should, I, should, I should reform that. They may see a male authority figure in terms of the gay man who might be in charge of the shoe store. Uh, I'm not sure that's exactly the kind of robust masculine presence that these little boys who are straight may need. They also may see, uh, let's see, 
a politician, say, who is constantly pandering to women. See, there's nothing that spells cock like, hey, ladies, is it okay if I do something? Do you mind that? Is that okay? Jesus Christ. I swear to God, like this, this phallic paranoia, this like uh, gynocracy, why can we not have a, a, a pipeline? Because it's too much like a penis. Wait, is there going to be a giant dick near my house? What? It could blow at any time? Uh, I'm not drowning in sperm or oil. Thank you very much. No to that. I mean, I, I, this is just nonsense, right? But I mean, right. this is how crazy it is. Like, how about you give little boys a male authority figure? How about we say, okay, let's, um, let's get some male authority figures in there for the little boys who are growing up without dads. Let's just have a proactive, positing hiring policy. Jesus Christ. Try having a company that's 98% white males. Right? You can't do I mean, that. You can't do that, <laughs> but you can have, like, in early childhood education, it could be 98% women, and everyone's like, yeah, that's legit. Right. Yep. You can't have men. And, and what if you said, if you had a 98% white male company, and you said, ah, you know, I, I might be okay with hiring blacks. The problem is that they're all rapists. Yeah, you'd be crucified. Yeah, obviously. Right. But you can say, but it's like, see, but we don't want men teaching little children because they must be pedophiles, you see, which is even worse than being a rapist. And this is, you know, there's a reason why white middle-aged men in America are committing suicide at unprecedented rates. It's because the environment has turned deadly, it's turned into a deadly toxin for white males. And this is why this, this whole victim bullshit that goes on around there, uh, is, it's like a bunch of Roman people in the aisles complaining that they're getting sore thumbs up and down while a bunch of Christians get fucking tridents through the head and get eaten by lions. And they're all saying, well, you know, my thumbs hurt. I'm, I'm, I'm really the victim here. I mean, plus, you know, there's blood on the sand and that hurts my eyes when the sun reflects off it. And it's like, you know, there's some like people dying here. Christ almighty. Uh, it, it is uh, truly insane. And, and people who aren't white males, they don't, they don't understand it. Like, there's supposed to be this patriarchy. And white males in particular were supposed to be this, this all-powerful group. My question is, okay, well, when was the last time there was an ambiguous interracial incident where the media automatically came down in support of the white male? Yeah. I, Wouldn't that be a test of this patriarchy? Right. But they invent power in order to brutalize, right? They, they, they imbue white males with power and this imaginary authority so that they can attack and brutalize the, um, the white males. And that is um, uh, the, the, the elevation of people into positions of power prior to brutalization. Well, it's key to anti-Semitism and other things as well. And uh, people who, um, who haven't experienced it... Uh, they, they genuinely, and of course, if any man ever complains, every, any white male ever complains. Right. Well, yeah. Well, I, mean, I saw a meme about that where it had a picture of a guy with like holding his head, looking stressed out. And it's like, I want to be offended, but I'm a white male or something like that. And it's like, yeah, <laughs> pretty much. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. there's no, there are no allies. I mean, if you're a white male and you stand up for yourself, whether it's about white maleness or anything else like that, I mean, holy crap. Right. I mean, it's uh, just a giant shitstorm. Or you're being, you're being too aggressive. I never sided with a white male in any kind of ambiguous conflict. Sorry? Yeah, no, I was just saying, it's like, there's always a, a reason. It's like, well, you know, don't stand up for yourself. You're too aggressive. You're not understanding or you're racist or you're sexist. Yeah, you, you just, can't. You, you what can't, are you? Yeah. Just a mask walking around uh, puppeting, you know? So, 
it would be nice if there was some kind of solution aside from just uh, watching the clock and wearing the mask until things change. You know, we just have to keep uh, putting putting the message out. Um, again, you you cannot pit philosophy against naked economic self interest because that will actually insult philosophy and and will reduce its power. You always want to make sure that you can apply your intellectual capacities and energies to the weakest parts of a structure. I mean, this is basic detonation 101, right? Demolition 101, you have to apply your energies to the weakest part of the structure. And if all you do is apply your energies to the toughest part of the structure, then you're just going to look weak. Uh, you you want to really withhold, this is all analogies, <laughs> so everyone knows, right? <laughs> but you really want to withhold your greatest uh, intellectual powers uh, for that, that which, which you can have the most effect on, which is why I don't do a huge amount of stuff railing against the Fed. What the hell is that going to do? But I can talk about voluntary relationships. I can talk about the voluntary family. I can talk about not spanking your kids. I can talk about uh, promoting virtue and opposing uh, evil in your own circle because these are things that people can do something about. Right. Well, it's I mean, got me thinking about what directions I can or should take as well uh, when you put it in that kind of frame of mind. So definitely food for thought. Yeah, and also, I mean... People complain that that there's a uh, pay gap, right, for women. And I've gone through this so many times, I won't bore you with it again. But uh, how many people know that there's a mark gap for boys in school? That boys and girls who turn in the identical work, the boys get marked significantly lower than the girls. Hmm. In other words, when the teach when the female teacher knows that it's a boy's work, she will mark it lower. When it's anonymized, she marks it the same. Interesting. Okay. Now, of course, we've got all these fucking laws, which it's all in the, the truth about male privilege, which is uh, on this channel. All these laws saying, well, you can't underpay women for the same job, right? Well, okay, but at least women are goddamn well adults and can negotiate for themselves. What the hell are you supposed to do when you're six and you get regularly marked down? Right. Because you have testicles. Where's the outrage at that? Well, see, it doesn't exist because males, men and their preferences, white men and their preferences simply don't exist. Um, and the, people will try and tease out white male preferences in general only to belittle and attack them. And um, I think it's horribly unjust. Uh, I think it is absolutely brutal. And uh, it angers me enormously. Yeah, Sarah Silverman did a... Um, some sort of commercial, I think it was, where I think she was a doctor and there was a, it's a boy. Oh, I'm so sorry. Oh, that's so bad. Oh, that's so this. Oh, the boys, you know. Jesus Christ. Boycott stuff invented by white men and see how your day goes. Anyway, I hope that helps. Yeah, definitely. Thank you. All right. Who's next? Okay, well, up next is Darius. He wrote in and said, regarding the feminism, unequal opportunity nagging video, where did Stefan get the idea that women who are ugly have to nag in order to get resources, or that in general women who have children become less attractive all of a sudden? That's from Darius. Okay, Darius, why are you trying to get me in trouble here, brother? Oh, you got me in <laughs> what trouble, are you doing? Gross before, right? I mean, what are you trying to... That's not what I said in the, in the show. I'm not saying every ugly woman is a nag. Oh, 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 Stefan. I know. I know. But when I say this to my girlfriend, I know at the beginning you said I'm going to be painting with a broad brush. In the end, you said, uh, you know, this is my tentative thesis. Throughout the whole video, you're saying that 
I'm just, you know, this is just in general, and I'm not speaking specifically or anything like that. But she, she says that none of that stuff counts, and she still got angry over it. And she wait, wait, hang on. Her rebuttal is none of that counts. Oh well, yeah, basically, that's it. um, None of that counts. Was she topless at the time? I mean, does that seem like a valid (laughs) argument at some to some part of your body? It's never a valid argument. I was just wondering if, if you know. Is there some kind of analogy that I can? You, I mean, you come, you got, you have a lot of good analogies and stuff like that. So I'm just trying to get some ammunition because I can't even like if you can, if you just, I mean, if he's saying that he's not talking about all women, and then you just say that doesn't count, then I don't even know how to combat that, you know. So I was just hoping maybe maybe you could clarify it some in some better way, form or fashion. I don't know, you know. Well, I can I can I give you a sound poem? What's that? Can I just take you on a journey here? Okay, that's okay. fine. Close, close your eyes. Let's let's just go go to a little place here. Okay, you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. Okay, here we go. What uh, what what soundscape are we following here? Um, it sounds like uh, uh, someone who's just really angry. Okay, so first we opened a drawer, and then we took some clothes out, and we put them in a bag. Oh. And then what we did was we walked across the floor, and then what we did was we opened the door, and then we walked out the door, we got into a car, and we drove away. That's one, you know, you're saying, well, what do you do? Well, that's one possibility. I'm not saying you should. I'm just saying that's one possibility. Yeah, yes, that's always a possibility, yeah. Um, right. I, I mean, it's... I asked her, I, I mean, I asked her to, you know, maybe you should just call him to the show and he can, you know, clarify for you a little bit better. But she doesn't, she didn't want to call in. I mean, uh, she felt like you would attack her or something like that. And I was just like, to me, it Wait, seems so like. She's, she's attacking me, but she won't give me a chance to talk uh, back because yeah, I mean, then I'm somehow going to attack her. I see. Well, that doesn't sound manipulative at all. Well, yeah, I mean, I, to me, it just seems like you don't want to be even proven wrong. You don't want your worldview to change at all. And. You know, I mean, I think that that's uh, a problem. It's problematic. Uh, I just, you know, I'm I'm at a loss for words, really. I mean, you, I mean, he says he's not talking about women, but, and oh, I I think I know where she's coming from. I think I, she's coming from the from you know the perspective that uh, I don't believe any women do that at all. I don't believe any woman, um, ugly or pretty, you know, beg for resources or whatever, and. For him to even say that any women do that. Wait, did I say beg? For, I don't think that doesn't sound like me. Oh, no, okay, so beg. just just for those, hang on. So for those who haven't heard the show, this is off the top of my head, and I'm not going to say this 100% accurate, but but basically women who are super attractive physically, right, when they're young, guys throw resources at them. I mean, Darius, tell me I'm wrong, right? I mean, I can't tell you you're the wrong. club, and who, who wants to buy, who gets the most drinks bought for them are the prettiest girls, right? Sorry, you know, ladies... It's the way it is, right? You can get mad at us, but, you know, then you're just getting mad at biology, which is the whole reason we're buying you drinks in the first place. So it seems a little weird to do that. And so if you have a a lot of physical qualities that men find attractive, then men will throw resources at you. Now, this doesn't mean that men won't throw resources at you if you're not super pretty. But then you kind of have to bring value in another way. And the other way that you bring value, and this can be as true for pretty women as, as anyone else and guys and whatever, right? but the other way you bring value is you're just nice and helpful and positive and encouraging and supportive and, you know, like a good, virtuous person. Now, if um, you uh, are not attractive physically and you're a nasty person, right? Like you can be, 
a nasty person and physically attractive and guys will still throw resources at you. I mean, they might throw resources at you while they're running away, <laughs> but they'll still throw resources at you. Yeah. Um, and, if and if you are not pleasant looking um, or average or, or ugly, then, you know, you can, you know, the old thing, you know, the, if you want a quality personality, don't go for the hot girl, right? Because it's like expecting royalty to be really good at hard work. <laughs> it's just not, not how it works, right? Yeah. And so um, as a woman gets, um, you know, the, the whole point of the, the bloom on the rose, the whole point of the woman's sexual attractiveness is to get a man to commit to her and then to uh, make babies with her. And for the majority of women, after they have a series of babies, right, three or four or five or six babies, you know, historically that would not be out of the, um, uh, out of the ballpark, they're going to be less attractive. Yeah, guess what? You know, when you've had a whole bunch of uh, baby rodents sucking away at your boobs, yeah, they're going to be something that you can teach uh, sailors uh, how to knot with. And, uh, you know, your vagina is going to loosen up and your belly is going to have stretch marks and your ass is going to hang. And, you know, it's really tough to get in those cardio workouts when you have four kids crawling on your lap. So it's as true. To, it's a little bit less true for men, but it certainly is true for men. I don't know why this is a shock for people. Again, this is, goes back to the earlier call where like a tiny oh, yeah. bit of reality yeah. makes women – some women have these like paroxysms of outrage about basic reality. As you get older, you tend to get less attractive. That's but exactly then, what nature should be doing because you don't want to be firing your blanks into a dusty cave without eggs, right? I mean yeah. that's not <laughs> – nature – points penises at young eggs don't blame us blame evolution it's the way it works and so women get less attractive as they get older now they have a choice if they want to get their way or have an influence in a relationship when they get older they can choose to be a whole lot more helpful and more nice and better people and good homemakers and all those good solid mallory tower style girls that used to be around in the past or they can get the government to scare the shit out of the man and then nag him until he takes his own life Right. I mean, that is uh, these are the choices that, that women have. And, you know, some women do choose to become nicer and better people as they age and so on. And, um, you know, I don't know why this is a big shock for people. Um, you know, guess what? Uh, men, men get richer as they get older, which means they have more resources. And there's a there comes a tipping point. Like what what is a midlife crisis? A midlife crisis is your penis saying round two. <laughs> okay. You, you want to do this again? Round two? Because, you know. Uh, if I'm 40, let's say I got married when I was 25. Okay, so had a couple of kids. I'm going to be when I was a 20. So I got a couple of kids. They're getting into their mid to late teens now. Hell, I'll start again. I mean, that's an evolutionary great strategy, right? You got a lot of resources and you just, you dump your wife and you go off and you make a bunch of new copies of yourself with a younger woman. And that's a great strategy evolutionarily, which is why monogamy tends to benefit women more than men, because women's sexual market value declines over time, whereas men's sexual market value tends to increase in general overall. Yeah. So midlife crisis is your ball saying, whoa, <laughs> ding, ding, let's try again, shall we? Yeah. And um, that is natural. And, and women, of course, because they experience the high sexual market value when they're young and men don't they're like shocked when it begins to fade away when they hit the wall in their 30s or whatever and so the fact is that yeah women become there's a there's a tipping point where women become less valuable and the man has the distinct urge you know to you, you can see this all the time like jude law with his nanny and and uh, arnold schwarzenegger with his nanny and um i don't know ben affleck reportedly i don't know what what the truth is about all these stories but according if the stories are true 
that, yeah, when the kids grow up, the guys will often have a wandering eye and they'll want to plant their seed in somebody else's garden because evolutionarily, that's what men are designed to do. And so this is at a time when the women may be going through menopause. They may not be as sexually available. And in the past, before you could lube yourself up with half the North Sea bottom, then uh, women could uh, have experienced vaginal dryness and, and sexuality would be less comfortable and tired from, from, from not sleeping through menopause or whatever. So it's almost like nature is calibrated to, to get men to go start new families. And, you know, you see this happen uh, from time to time in this sort of midlife crisis, which, of course, is mocked. And, and that's... You know, is the midlife crisis uh, considered to be something that men should be, you know, we should be careful or we should understand, we should have empathy for? It's like, no, he just, you know, wants to replace his dying teenage penis with ground up sports car Viagra juice or something, right? There's no <laughs> compassion, no empathy, of course, because it's a male's problem and therefore it's just silly and immature and stupid and, right? And of course, no compassion or empathy for this whatsoever. Of course, a woman going through menopause, oh, you poor dear, right? Male menopause is, uh, Get your rickety dick to <laughs> point at some new ovum, and uh, Bob's your uncle as far as a, a new set of photocopies go. And um, so this idea that um, uh, what what do women do when they get older? Well, they should, of course, make their man even happier because there is this aspect in the same way that when you have a, a woman who's very attractive in one form or another, it doesn't have to be physical, then you really have to work extra hard to get her to marry you, right? Yeah. I mean, there's a reason why the cheerleader goes out with the with the quarterback, right? Because this is why men have ambition. <laughs> Ladies, we have ambition. I mean, if, it's not why do we buy big houses? You know, a man is happy cars. with a cave and an Xbox. We buy nice houses so that women will fill it with children. You know, men are ambitious because, <laughs> right? And so where women don't need men, the ambition in that male community tends to decline significantly, right? Which is where you get things in Japan and the black community and so on. It's not a lot, it's much of ambition because, you know, ambition is what <laughs> you go out and get the coconuts so that you can uh, empty, I guess, both sets of nuts with similar um, material. But anyway, so when men are young and women are young, then men have to work extra hard to get the high quality women. And this, you know, can tend to make women who don't understand this or whose own mothers have not told them about this or people who haven't, really thought about this through at all but hey guess what the tide turns ladies <laughs> the tide turns and you remember how hard men had to work to keep your attention when you were young and hot okay now you're in your late 30s you're in your early to mid 40s the tide has turned ladies and now you have to work extra hard to keep your man happy now that is something that people don't seem to tell women very much it's like women your sexual market value is plummeting so fast it's going to leave an impact crater when you hit late mid-40s bigger than the Arizona crater of giant meteorness, right? And so as women's sexual market value begins to decline and the man's is going up, well, then they become the teenage boys and the men become the cheerleaders. Like, that's just the way it works. The, the, the tide comes in and the tide goes out. Pendulum swings one way, pendulum swings the other way. And in the 40s, the woman is in the position of the sex beggar and the, you know, let me bring you some flowers and let me dance for you and let me compose poems for you and let me engage you. And let, like, the way that young men chase young women has reverses itself in the 40s and now the women have to chase the men that they're with and have to make sure that they're super happy and have to do all the work that the young men did in their teens and early to mid-20s to get a hold of the uh, of the quality women. And the women have to do that when they get older. And 
this is something that, again, because anybody who whispers any kind of biological or even physical reality to women apparently panics a lot of women with facts and logic and, and evidence, uh, it's shocking to women. And women think that their sexual market value advantage should con continue long after yeah. it has gone the exact opposite direction. It's like this elevator should only ever go up. Well, then you're going to end up in space with nothing to breathe. So women who are raised with, you're so special, you're a snowflake, you're wonderful, women are wonderful, uh, everything should be brought to women on a giant political and penis roller conveyor belt, uh, well, okay, yeah, when you're young, absolutely, that makes perfect sense. It's not for you, it's for the eggs, but okay. <laughs> Nonetheless, you're sitting on a great treasure of humanity called the next generation, and who you grant it to is important. However, when those eggs dry up and blow away, then the man is going to feel the urge to go and start a new family. Why? Because DNA, because biology, because evolution, because that's just the way it is. And your sexual market value is collapsing and his sexual market value is increasing. He's already proved his fertility. People can judge the quality of his fatherhood by, say, comparing Donald Trump's kids to Rosie O'Donnell's kids, you know, just as a possibility. <laughs> He's already proven his quality as a provider. Kids are all still alive. Yay, he can provide. He's, he's hitting his peak earning potential. He's still young enough to have new kids and still live to enjoy his grandkids if he wants to. So his quality as a father, his quality as a provider, it's not rolling the dice anymore. Right? So he is a proven commodity. He's high sexual market value, and he's got a lot of resources. Whereas, and so if he, you know, if he gets dumped, he's, he's a rock star. He's a god. He's like, whoa, yes, absolutely. I'll take that grizzled old gnarly, curly, kanji-style penis because, you know, it's well proven in the sexual market value component. On the other hand, the woman in her 40s who's dumped, well, I guess you're going to have to ride a lot of bicycles for sexual satisfaction and take up religion because... You know, that's about it. I, can, I remember hearing, um, oh gosh, many years ago on a Tom Likas show, uh, some woman calling in and saying, you know, I'm really having trouble finding a date. I don't understand why. I'm a, I'm a professional woman. I, you know, I own my own house. And he's like, men don't care that you have your own house. They care that you're young and hot. Like you, you don't have sexual market value. I, I hate to shock him. Why didn't anyone tell you this? And so on, right? Well, And I mean, so, yeah, go ahead. Well, um, you know, she would say that I should be offended by, you know, the previous statement she made as far as, um, well, men only want hot women and all this other stuff. And as they get older, they're going to have a wandering eye and stuff like that. She would say I should be offended by that. And why? I feel why? like. Why? I mean, what, what, is, what does offended mean? What does that well, mean? Offensive, offended as, in terms of, you know, you're, you're lumping all men into one category and. And all this other stuff, even though you, you're speaking in general terms and also the, uh, you know, does she, does not... she deny evolution? Is that, is that the issue? No, no. I mean, she, she, you know, she believes in evolution and everything like that. I mean, okay. I does she I deny that just... men retain, hang on. Does she deny that men retain their fertility long after women do? No, I'm, I'm sure she wouldn't deny that. Yeah. No. Would she deny that it's evolutionary advantageous for a middle-aged man to start a new family in terms of having more copies of his genes? No, I don't think she would deny that. Um, yeah. Then what the hell? What the hell is? I'm offended by facts. Are you kidding me? <laughs> if you're offended by facts, you you need to find a little little jacket to hug yourself with and get some medication. If you're offended by facts, you're kind of crazy. 
I mean, I'm not saying this is what all men should do. I'm just saying that there's this biological reality. Like, I don't notice women complaining that much when their sexual market value is really high about how unbalanced it is. But when it switches the other way in the 40s, suddenly it's offensive. I mean, <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't know. It just seems kind of silly. I, I don't know what being offended actually means. Well, me neither. But I mean, I, I mean, I'm just saying what she said. It means she stop said, talking to that guy because he might he might hand you back some balls that I currently have in my clasp purse. <laughs> um, I, I feel like she's internalizing a lot of stuff in terms of uh, she feels like that maybe when when I get older, if we're you know when we're still together or whatever, maybe when I get older, I'll have a wondering guy and all this stuff. If I believe you will, what you will because biology. I mean, expect, expecting men not to have a wandering eye is like expecting women not to have a period. Yeah, but, um, yeah. Then clench, that, honey, then, clench. It's offensive to me that you're bleeding and not dying. So clench. I mean, come on. Women have periods and men have wandering eyes. That's basic biology. And, and there's nothing wrong with knowing that means that she's just got to be such a great wife and girlfriend that, that you'd never like than some young luscious thing who wants to you know, hook her stilettos uh, behind her uh, hoop earrings and let you go to town like a monkey on a Petri dish. I don't know what the hell happened to that <laughs> metaphor. I'm sorry <laughs> about that. But it's like, uh, so she just has to be so great in the same way that guys have to work extra hard to get the attention of the cheerleader. She just has to work extra hard to keep your attention. Like a monkey on a cupcake. Apparently, Mike just checked his, um, his Google history uh, and uh, he gave us the right analogy. Thanks, Mike. And thank you, Google. Um, but no, it's, it's just she just knowing this ahead of time. See, she's nagging. She's doing exactly what I predict. And she's looking down the tunnel of time to when she's less sexually attractive because she's older. And she's starting to nag and break your balls. Rather than say, okay, well, um, if my sexual market value is going down and my husband's sexual market value is going up, I got to work extra hard. Guess what? That's the way it works, ladies. And men know this from the beginning. You know, if, if you're some middle-aged guy and you're kind of coasting in your job and they hire a whole bunch of new young guys who are willing to work night and day and are going to outstrip you, you know what you say? Shit, competition's increasing. I got to work harder. I mean, this is what my guys do, right? I mean, yeah. if you're running in a race and some guy starts to pass you, what do you do? Just fall over and then nag him? <laughs> no, you run faster. That's what you do, right? And so... She's fulfilling it and can see why she doesn't like what I'm saying because she's fulfilling exactly what I predict for somebody who is resentful at the fact that the shoe has turned and that, that women actually have to work hard to keep male attention at some point. And what she's doing is she's making you feel bad rather than increasing no, her value make, to you to the point where you're not going to. She's trying to make me feel bad. She's not trying. She's not making me feel bad. You know, I'm, I still watch the show more than ever. Really? You know, she'll just really? walk to the. Well, really? I mean, I, no, no, I, I'm not feeling bad about really? it. I just want to answer Are you saying that you're the only man alive that nagging doesn't work on? That, oh, that no, this no, evolutionary no. strategy of women to <laughs> no, break no. balls rather than empty them, well, <laughs> that I'm you're just, the I'm only just... guy who's immune to this. <laughs> you're the only the... heterosexual guy who can look at an attractive woman and say, I like that freckle. Well, I, I, I mean, I mean, the only reason why I would feel bad about what's going on is because she's not listening to anything else you're saying, right? She won't listen to when you talk about economics or you know when you do, or truth about Bernie Sanders or any of these other things. Really, she, unless that, you're planning on having a fucking threesome with Bernie Sanders, I think her opinion of my Bernie Sanders video is your least important topic at the moment. 
What what should be my most important topic? Well, um, she's not responding rationally. She, I would have been happy to chat with her on the show. She's not responding rationally. She's getting huffy. She's stamping her feet. She's getting upset. She's getting offended. She's not curious about your thinking. She doesn't respect something that you're interested in. She's just trying to shit on you. Oh, look, there's a woman trying to cut a man off from another man who's giving him some interesting perspectives. Boy, we've never seen that before. Never been any listeners to this show that ended up getting involved with women and then not being happy with the show after that. I mean, come on. This is very this is very common. You know, I mean, this is what happens is that men get cut off from one another. Men get cut off from their you know, we were always complaining, oh, you know, you don't keep your friends around. It's like, well, okay, try being in a relationship with a woman and being around another man who's feeding you a whole bunch of red pills and waking you up to things and then see how that woman reacts. Is she like, wow, that's very interesting what you're thinking about that. Do tell me more. She's like, that's a bad influence on you. That person is, a. am offended. I'm upset that you would even think that. I can't believe that you're going back. Don't you listen to that guy anymore. Here, I'm going to do this without my top on. Here. Don't you listen to that guy anymore. He's bad for you. He's bad for you. He's turning you against me. He's making you think for yourself. He's reducing the power I have over you. He's detittying me. I can yes. feel them shrinking and going back inside my reverse robot titty imprints. Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, she found out about the defooing thing, and she wasn't really happy about that either, as if I would even consider that. But Yeah, oh, voluntarism in relationships. Who the hell is afraid of voluntarism in relationships except exploiters? Mm-hmm. Hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. I would really have respected her if she'd come on the show. Yeah, come on, tell me, tell me where I'm wrong. But you know, because she knows that just, you know, I'm I don't she doesn't have any sexual spell over me, right? I mean, I'm yeah. not a starving guy at a buffet of uh Kamasutra position airplane folders or whatever, right? So <laughs> she doesn't have any sexual power over me. I'm gloriously happily married and not interested in any other women sexually. She's got no sexual power over me. So if she can't bring her sexual power into her conversation with me, the fact that she would be up offended with me or upset with me, I don't care. Give me your arguments, honey. Give me your arguments. You know, be, be a big person, put on your big person panties and talk with the adults like a real person. But because she wouldn't come on the show, it means that she's got some sort of power over you that she doesn't think she's going to have over me. And that's a problem. Hmm. I'm 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 just you know I'm trying to think. Um, I mean, as far as your show is concerned, um, what kind of power she would have? Because we're I mean, she grew up in you know very liberal area. I grew up in you know more Republican, and I mean, we had we we disagree a lot on a lot of different things, and it's never been a, a case where I was just like you know uh, disagree with her just to agree with her. You know, uh, we just disagree on things and. I bring up certain aspects of uh, our disagreements and she'll, you know, research it and she'll come back maybe a few months later and be like, okay, you're right about that and everything like that. Um, I don't feel like she has a certain power over me. Um, I know what you mean, but I don't feel like that's the case with me. I mean, I I, I actually started donating to your show recently and and I'm going to keep on doing that. You know, um, I don't plan on to stop. I don't plan on stop listening to you just because, you know, she's not going to listen um, she's not going to stop me from expanding my knowledge base and uh, things of that nature. Uh, whether she agrees or disagrees has no effect on, has no bearing on whether, you know, where I'm going to get my information and and how I'm going to draw uh, my conclusions. Um, okay, but listen, man. 
if she doesn't have curiosity and she doesn't have a counter argument, but she's simply spraying off offense like a, something out of a skunk's ass, then you have a problem. Yeah. In that she's got a negative reaction to something that she's doing, but she won't tell you what it is. That's fundamentally a manipulation to begin with. In other words, you should change your behavior because I'm offended is granting life-changing power to a temper tantrum. Well, she never said I should stop watching your show. She never said I should stop watching your show. She just No, she I get just, that. I get that. Women usually don't offer ultimatums who are this way inclined. What they do is get huffy and increase resistance and make little digs and just make it more and more difficult. Like it's tough to, uh, it's tough to pass Speedy Gonzalez when you're in a Porsche and there's a whole bunch of road, road bumps, right? Speed bumps, yeah. right? So yeah. they don't actually tell you to get out of the car. They just make it impossible to get anywhere because there's nothing but speed bumps. And you think that'll happen in the future? I think it's happening now. She's oh. giving you a negative experience of this show without telling you why and without being curious about the value that you find in this show. See, this show, like you find this conversation interesting and I appreciate that and I certainly appreciate your donations. Yeah. I'm now on your side. <laughs> no, but um, <clears throat> So this show is a possible way, it's definitely a way for her to open a window into your soul. Right? So you respond to this show. You find this show interesting and engaging. She can learn a lot about you in a non-judgmental way simply by being curious about your experience of the show. Tell me what's of value for you. Tell me what you find that's different. Tell me what you find that's interesting. Tell me what you find that's exciting for you. You know, Why are you investing so much time? What's the payback? You know, What are you getting here that you can't get from? She could learn a lot about you by being curious about what you find valuable and interesting. And it could be stamp collecting, but in this case, of course, there's aspects of relational concepts in, in this show as well, right? Of course. So number one, she, she could, instead of trying to shut this down by being negative and hostile towards it, she could use it as a way to get to learn about you a lot better. And she's not doing that. She's neither curious, nor does she have counter arguments. Listen, if you said, hey... <laughs> I'm going to join the KKK, <laughs> right? I mean, uh, you know, she might use that as a window into your soul, but it probably would be something she'd have some valid counter arguments about, right? Well, yeah, of course. I mean, we 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 have conversations about what you what you talk about, and I, I've you know made her watch your show, you know, uh, quite a few times, and she will uh, she'll ask me you know different questions or whatever, but we just disagree fundamentally about. You know, uh, large government, big government, I mean, big government, small government, and uh, things of that nature. I mean, uh, I mean, one of the questions. Okay, is, and, but does she have reasons? Well, I mean, one, one of them would be, you know, uh, I'm a big monopoly, like you know, Standard Oil was uh, when it first came around, and uh, and how would if you remove a large government, if you remove remove the government altogether, um, the government was the ones who broke up that monopoly. So how would you in the future break up? you know, future monopolies. Um, so she's afraid of a, she's afraid of a monopoly that's voluntary, like standard oil. Why did they get to be so big? It's because well, they were the yeah. best at satisfying consumer demand. So she's afraid of a big voluntary monopoly, but a big violent involuntary monopoly she thinks is just great. Well, she, I understand what you're saying and I agree with you, but uh, we, I mean, she will say to that, 
Well, they pushed out the little guy and, and lowered their prices in certain areas of the country and increased them in other areas just to push out the little guy and grow larger and everything like that. So she would say yep. that it wasn't voluntary in, in the sense that uh, they would you know, completely obliterate the small guy. Did they, did they have an army? Of course, they, they, small guy, big guy, it's the customers who choose the success of a company. If the customers want a Walmart instead of a mom and pop store, then the customers will get a Walmart. And the only way to prevent that is to hold a gun to the customers' heads and force them to shop where they don't want to shop. Yes. Exactly. Right? I mean, so, so who cares, right? Is the alternative to that some big, giant monopoly government that can start wars and enslave people and sell our future generations into debt slavery? It's all bullshit, man. And I'm sorry to, to be so blunt about this. You've got to understand no, no, women's no. relationship with the state is it's a backup husband. It's where they go when they get dumped or when they dump someone. It's their soft place to land. This is why women are so pro-state. It's got nothing to do with she cares about the customers of Standard Oil from 100 years ago. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Come on. I mean, this got nothing to do with it whatsoever. No, it's not even like it's not it's just not even remotely. Women need a backup husband in case the first one goes AWOL or breaks or dies. And they didn't feel like buying life insurance, right? Hmm. Like, I mean, does she really lie awake at night saying, wow, you know. 120 years ago, I wonder if the people buying oil got a good price or not. Well, I Gosh, told them. You know, that's got, a really important price. issue in my life, right? Yeah. Come on. No, w women have a visceral relationship with the state because the state is in the way of male ambition and the state is a soft place to land for a woman's failure. We, we, we're annoyed by the state because we have high capabilities in its inner way. And the government right now is preventing quality men from getting higher quality women because it's taking money from quality men and giving it to lower quality women. And women have a very, very tough time letting go of the state because then they have to rely 100% on a man. And that means they've got to find a good man and they've got to keep a good man even when their sexual market value goes down quicker than bits of Sally right after the Challenger explosion. <laughs> right? That is a terrible, terrible situation. It's a terrible joke, too, but <clears throat> that's a terrible situation for women. Because as a woman's sexual market value goes down, she has got to up her quality. She's got to up the quality of what she brings. And she can do that. This is how women used to do it. Uh, they used to do it with um, getting involved in their communities, right? And, and being essential to their communities, volunteering, helping out at food kitchens, taking in strays. They used to start humane associations to take in stray animals. They used to take in kids sometimes who were in need. They used to really get involved in their communities and bring so much value to the community that the idea of leaving someone for someone with slightly less gravity-challenged tits would make no sense at all, right? As Paul Newman said about his wife, Joanne Woodward, when people said, well, you know, you're a sex symbol. How come you never have affairs? He's like, why would I go out for a hamburger when I got steak at home? Exactly. You got to be the steak at home for the woman. And the idea, but the women have been pumped so full of this vanity. Like your value as women is just so wonderful and so embedded in how great and wonderful you are that the idea of having to earn value is incomprehensible to a lot of women. It's well, I mean, she, like she does well when she's older. Oh, okay. When she's older, I mean, now I don't know how old you guys are, but you know, if she's, um, I don't know, a young Beyonce, yeah, she don't need to stay, right? But if she gets older, the more of a problem because. The women have a choice. They can say, okay, well, I can finally accept that my value was not mine, but it was my eggs, right? 
Like, I mean, you know, that old, it's an old Sam Cooke song, but nobody knows you when you're down and out, right? It's like, hey, you know, when I had lots of money, everybody was my friend, and then I lost all my money, and it turns out people only liked my money that didn't like me. And that's, you know, men start off with low value when you, you were used to scrabbling, you know, with like a, a frog trying to get out of a banker's box. Scrabble to get up. We scrabble to get value. We straggle. We, we scrabble to compete. We, we put on our sexual displays, our helmets, our, our nerdiness, whatever it's going to be, whatever it's going to be, our sexual market value. We're used to scrabbling for it because men are born poor and grow rich in sexual market value and women are born rich and grow poor. And so when, as a man, you have low sexual market value, you've got to work like hell to bring other value to the equation, whether you play guitar or you invented a rocket or, you know, you discovered a mine or you built a company or you did 6,000 push-ups for the R-selected women. I don't know. Whatever it is going to be, you've got to be a me plus when you're younger as a man, especially because the young women, you know, it's eeny, meeny, miny penis. It's, they can just choose. It's, as I said before, it's a giant forest of like spiky penises pointing at them, <laughs> wanting to shoot gold on their heads. Yeah. And so men work really, really hard to add to their low sexual market value in order to compete for the high quality young women. But the young women uh, believe that they're just so great because, you know, women are just wonderful. It's got nothing to do with eggs or sexual. And when that begins to fall away, we are setting women up for psychological catastrophe, which is why it's like insane. Now, I can't remember. It's like a quarter of middle-aged American women are on antidepressants. Why? Yeah. yeah because no one told them the truth. It's the eggs we care about. That's what we're programmed for. You're not that wonderful. You're just fertile. And it's not that women can't be wonderful, but they can only be wonderful if they recognize that they did not earn the eggs and they did not earn the male hormonal attraction to their eggs. That's just something that happens. You're born hot. You're born attractive. You're fertile. And so everyone's clamoring for your attention and everyone's praising you because they just want to, you know, Tongue praise their way into licking your inner ear and making a baby with you. That's just the way it is. And then nobody tells this to women. And so they don't build a backup plan called, hey, I'm also going to be a nice person. I'm also going to be a reliable person. Being fertile is not that hard a job. I've, I've, got, a, I've got a business plan called being fertile for young women. And it's fairly lengthy, but I'll, I'll try and squeeze it in really, really quickly. This is the business plan called having high sexual market value for women when they're young. Are you ready? Here it goes. Chapter one, keep breathing. (laughs) That's it. That's all you got to do. Be alive, have a pulse, keep the eggs going. Just keep, just walk around a little bit, have some water, eat a power bar once in a while. Just keep breathing and look at that. Sexual market value. But but you try being a guy, you know, I came from a pretty poor neighborhood and all that. Try being a guy, you know, average looks or whatever. You go up to women and say, I'm alive. Who wants me? <laughs> it's like, it doesn't really work that way. Well, if you're and really so funny. women, yeah, I mean, that's like a bad joke, right? I mean, <laughs> I'm here. <laughs> you know, I mean, uh, who, who wants me? I don't know. Right. I'm here in a Lamborghini. OK, whatever. Right. Or I'm, I'm here and I'm super smart or I'm here and I, you know, I'm Mark Zuckerberg or whatever. OK, right. But um, the reality is that nobody prepares women for the decline in sexual market value 
And so they panic, they freak out, they get depressed, they get anxious, they start nagging. And then the guys can't stand them, they divorce the guys and run to the state. So that they never have to face the fact that the value came from their eggs, not their fundamental innate quality as human beings. And because when women are young, when their personalities are formed, everyone's just not, no one's telling them the truth. We have become a, a society where women select delusion genetically, right? Because normally if you praise people too much, anybody with any common sense is going to throw up a little bit in their mouth and back away slowly and get a verbal restraining order against your sycophantic bullshit. But women right now try being, I can say this, I'm happily married and middle-aged, right? Try being a young man and telling women the truth these days. How's that going to work out for you, right? Women aren't that great. You know, you just got a bunch of eggs and so, you know, we're programmed to, to want you. But it's not like you're that valuable. It's just that, you know, this is what nature has programmed us so we get more people. Imagine, because everyone else is telling them you're a wonderful special snowflake and your femininity is just so great. And, you know, women are wonderful and men are pigs, right? And, yeah. you know, so women right now, they are programmed to select liars over truth tellers, which is why being a truth teller is so often a genetically failed strategy, which is why we're so rare, right? I mean, we're kind of a regression, so to speak, right? <laughs> or a progression, I hope, right? So, yeah, so nobody true. prepares women for this. And so because women deep down know that their sexual market value is going to plunge and nobody's taught them how to be good people and the necessity of being good people, and please understand, I'm not saying there are no good women. I'm just, this is generalities, right? Well, yeah, I know what you're yeah. That they, they can't let go of the state, which is why unmarried women in particular tend to vote so hard left. Because they need the backup penis jack of unearthing gold in the ground, right? Can't get a man's penis to do it. Got to get a politician's penis by proxy to get me the gold that I need to survive uh, as I age. And this is why it's so hard for women to let go of the state. Letting go of the state for women means that they have to find a way to bring enormous value to men at a time in their 40s and 50s when their sexual market value is collapsing. And that is a fundamental reorientation. And what they do instead is they, they fucking bitch on men to no end, a lot of them, so that the man never realizes his sexual market value. And then they set up a family court and alimony system to the point where if any man ever tries to exercise his sexual market value because he can't, can't stand the increasingly bittered and shrewd woman he's living with, she'll use the state to cut his balls off and then he can't get anything else, right? So women are not saying, women should be saying, oh, God, just get rid of this alimony, get rid of this child support and all that. Guys, forget all that crap. I, I, I want to keep my marriage by being an irresistibly great woman. That's, that's how I, it's embarrassing. You know what a confession of unattractiveness it is for women to make divorce so unpleasant for men what they're confessing is that middle-aged marriage is such a vicious and soul-destroying and ball-crushing enclosure for men that they have to have lawyerly snipers shoot the balls off any man who tries to escape i mean if women were really confident in the value that they're bringing to men they should want to get rid of all of this stuff because it's humiliating it's humiliating imagine you know you're on a date you see that the woman is chained to the table <laughs> That's like, what a horrible human being this is, right? Let me help. <laughs> and because women are so uh, focused on people who flatter them out of all common sense, that all of these, you know, pedestal polishing, pussy begging beta males are just swarming all over them like rodents trying to climb up a, 
anchored rope into a ship of infinite vagina goodies sailing off to China. <laughs> so this is a whole trend that's going on in society. And, you know, please like understand again, all the caveats, nobody listens to the caveats who's dedicated to being upset and all that. Lots of great no, women out no. there. And, and I'm just, these are general trends that you can really see showing up in the culture a lot. And um, uh, I'm concerned that you have uh, a woman who's not curious about what you're saying, uh, who doesn't have good arguments. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She cares about the quality of Standard Oil's customers from 120 years ago. And she lies awake because some mom and pop store might have closed down in Des Moines, Iowa, because a Standard Oil shop moved in next. I mean, come on, you don't care about that. What she cares about is, well, I have a choice. I can vote left or I can vote Democrat, I can vote big government, which is going to take care of me if my husband finds me unbearable, or I can be such a great woman that he'd never even think about leaving me. Huh. And you can see which way she's going. Now, do you think that... And that's going to have real consequences for you. Sorry, go ahead. You think that they're voting that way, um, and, they're, and they're, you know, consciously thinking about their sexual market value? I, I think cares? that they're just... I don't, oh. ca- I don't care why they're voting that way. Uh, yeah. right? it does, I mean, there's... there's clear explanations for it whether people know something consciously or not is immaterial to me it doesn't matter whether someone knows something consciously or not because either they do know it consciously in which case that's really terrible or they don't know it consciously which is even worse it means that they've not even asked themselves why they have any particular political leaning. They haven't even had the basic curiosity about their own motivations that might lead them to ask why they vote a particular way, which is even worse. It's one thing to crash. It's another thing to drive drunk. And people without self-knowledge are voting drunk. And that's even worse. That adds insult to injury to crime. Yeah. Okay. Um, but I feel like they would they would also think I mean, this is what I always hear. I mean, they always say stuff like, you know, um, people on welfare, so you want to cut their welfare or or at least minimize it somehow and make them go out and work. Um and, and as far as social security is concerned and wait, wait, hang, they on, don't, hang on. So wait, are you saying women on welfare would have to go out and work? Yes. I mean that's or just people you know, as a whole. Oh uh, well, I mean there's mostly well, it's mostly single moms on welfare, right? As far as I know. Yeah, no, they, they don't have to go out and work, of course. What they have to do is they have to be such great women that they snag themselves a guy who will take care of them and their kids while he goes to work. That's all. Well, they that... just have to up their sexual market value to the point where people will put up with their kids, the kids of another guy. But that's it's well, as simple as that. I mean, it's, it, they don't have to go to work and cut off welfare. They'll just find guys and be just great sandwich-making, back-rub giving, foot rub giving, uh, you know, scented bath with candles giving, great listener, great conversationalist giving people who will, man will be like, yeah, I'll take your kids. You're so fantastic. I love you so much. Wonderful, right? That's all. They, they, no, they don't have to go to work. They just have to be great partners for some guy. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, besides besides that, I mean, I agree with that. But besides that, um, the, the, you know, argument against, against uh, small government would be um, a bunch of people – um, I don't know, like whatever the liberal argument is against. I can't think of it right now. I mean, they always say they always come up with some, you know, they always come up with some reason as to why we need government to to do certain things for us, like you know, roads or or healthcare or or whatever. Um, and personal responsibility is never part of that argument. Um, and but I I feel like it has to be. 
but I, I don't. Okay, well, look, I, fine. Okay, so so let's let's say we'll we'll deal with the roads last. Fine. If you want the if the roads, if people are lying awake wondering about the quality of tarmac in the future, I I, I don't even know what to say to well, them because it's bullshit. Nobody's like, oh my god, I mean, there's a pothole in Des Moines. I can't sleep. <laughs> I can't think. I can't eat. I'm worried sick. I mean, what if somebody cracks an axle? What if a toddler tricycle goes into the thing? The people don't. Yeah. Okay. Fine. Let's let's deal with the roads last. Deal with the welfare state, the military-industrial complex, national debt, fiat currency, inflation, the rampant pillaging of the environment through massive government spending. Let's deal with all of that. Fine. The roads will be dealt with by our grandchildren. We'll start with the welfare state and other things like that, right? Okay. So fuck, have, have your road paranoia if you want. Have your road rage if you want. Be a road scholar if you care. I don't care, right? But let's just deal with the immediate stuff. And people, well, they're going to find the transition kind of difficult. It's like, well, yeah. Welcome to the yeah. world of being a guy. Lots of transitions, pretty difficult for guys. And uh, nobody cares about that, right? I mean, manufacturing jobs have collapsed. 50,000 jobs a month in America lost every single year during most of this um, century, this decade and a half. Uh, men's wages have, have collapsed uh, relative to women's. They've gone down even farther. I mean, I'll have sympathy for all of the bleating women of self-victimization, the moment I see them really caring about what's happening to men, what's happening to boys in the educational system, what's happening to men in the post-apocalyptic, post-manufacturing world, which was the standard ladder to the middle class for men in the past. I will, I will really, really care about women when I see women bursting into tears about the plight of boys, heavily medicated for not being girls. When I see uh, 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 the women crying about the plight of boys who don't have male role models, when I see women criticizing women for choosing shitty guys to have kids with, and then those guys leave and putting burdens on other men and women who are more responsible. When I see women um, marching down the streets for candlelit vigils for the high number of male suicides, particularly after they've been through the ringer of the family court system in the United States, when I see women weeping their supposedly copious tears for the plight of men in the modern world, then I will care what happens to single moms after the welfare state goes away. But until that comes, until I see women actually portraying and living in an actually vivid way, in a lived vivid way, all of the compassion that women are supposed to be so famous for, all oh, the compassion that they have, they're such sensitive, feeling creatures. Okay, well, men are having a very tough time in society at the moment. Men are having an incredibly tough time, and boys in particular. They're spanked more, they're downgraded more, they're medicated more, they're punished more, uh, they're hurt more, they're abused more than girls. When I see women saying, sorry, sisters, we got to get some men into these early education thing because these guys have no mentors, and we're so sensitive to the lack of mentors, as I talked about in the previous segment. When I see women really beginning to focus all of the supposed laser-like estrogen-driven tears of sympathy, empathy, and gratitude, and sensitivity, and openness, and warmth, and caring, and concern, and love, and compassion, and support, and when I see all of this supposedly giant boobs of, of uh of compassion eclipsing the harsh sun that is currently drying out the eyeballs of lonely, desert-wandering, apocalyptic boys' experience in the modern West, then I will really begin to care about women. But I will not grant one iota more of compassion than I receive in this life. That is the great lesson that men need to relearn. Do not grant more compassion than you receive. An excess of compassion, as I said before and will say again, is a sin 
and a crime. Hmm. Yep. Um, you know, um, I agree with you uh, completely. It's, you know, I'm just, I'm just trying to convey this, you know, line of thinking to people around me. Um, including no, 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 listen, dude, <laughs> you are not ready. You are not ready to be an evangelist as yet. No, no, no. I'm not. I'm not trying. You, to be you an got. You I'm got not... some stuff to tidy up in your relationship. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I, I can't. I. I mean, you know, if I. I mean, we can. I can provide articles that will support my argument, and she can provide articles that will support her argument. But I mean, we're really just dealing with symptoms of problems. We're not dealing with um, the moral issue. Um, just mull it up, right? I mean, you need to have a conversation about being valued and respected and you you cannot you cannot bow down to somebody being offended no you no. know this 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 is really really important you know you can be curious and say well look i'm i'm sorry that you're offended i mean that's that's a shame and so on it has no bearing on the content of what it is that i'm talking about and i'm happy to talk about why you're offended but i'm you know you you cannot give in to bullying in this life you cannot give in to people just being offended Otherwise, you're feeding the worst and most manipulative squid tentacles of brain-sucking <laughs> estrogen-based <laughs> mind vampirism that society has to offer. Uh, you, you can't yeah. do it. I mean, be curious and all that. But, you know, the fact that you're offended is interesting to me. But, the, you, you, you know, you can't possibly change your behavior based upon people being offended. You know, um, no, no. whatever you feed grows in your life and whatever you starve dies. And you need to starve people changing your behavior because they're upset. Uh, that is not good for them and it's not good for you at all. Yeah, no, my, my, my behavior hasn't changed. I mean, I started watching the show more. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't feel like my, I mean, I know my uh, behavior hasn't changed uh, based on how she feels about it um, or about you and you know, your okay. show. Um, I watch yeah. it more. Well, you might just want to have some say, you know, does she know? You can just ask her, you know, and she wants to call in. I'm happy to chat with her. Okay. So, oh, you know, your sexual call. market values, you know, <laughs> you know, your sexual market value is going to go down. What's your plan? Yeah. What's your, how is your, what is, this is what women used to know. And, and moms used to tell them and dads used to tell them, but the dads are gone and the moms are sucked into the, I don't know, the, the mental vacuity of, of resentment feminism or, or just general avoidance or they're playing into the vanity assault of, of advertisers or whatever. Um, yeah, your value is going to go down. How are you going to become a matriarch of valuable wizard-like wisdom in your community? Uh, how are you going to hang on to your man when your tits fall off? You know, there's a method of communication that is guy-based. And of course, a lot of effeminate men or emasculated men, or they don't understand that this is, this is locker room talk. This is guys talking. You know, and, and I'm sorry if it offends you, but it's okay. Sometimes when women talk to each other, I get offended and bored as well. Um, <laughs> but uh, this is guy talk, and this is also hyperbole, and it's a way of communicating that is designed to leave a strong impression and to break through particular kinds of propaganda through a certain amount of shock value. I just want people to understand that, that uh, this is just a way of communicating that's kind of guy to guy, although, of course, women can participate as well. It's a kind of hyperbole, and it's a kind of exaggeration, and it's for effect, and it's to get a point across in a very powerful way. And the stronger the propaganda people have faced, and the anti-male propaganda, pro-female propaganda, 
is so pervasive, it's actually well-documented in psychological circles. It's called the WAW, the Women Are Wonderful effect. And uh, it's propaganda that is so insidious, so invasive. It's such a brain parasite. It seems it's actually replaced the brain for most people in society. And it, this was the case for me, too. I'm not, you know, this was the case for me as well. Uh, I remember participating. Oh, I'm going to lose all credibility now. But I'll be honest, I was participating and um, in, in uh, Take Back the Night marches and all that. And, and I, you know, I... I was there and I, you know, was filled with the same vacuous brain polystyrene of, of inconsequential nonsense that, that I'm sort of fighting against now in others. And I know the shock value of uh, a well-placed and uh, uh, inflammatory phrase, just so people understand uh, that uh, this is a way of communicating. I'm not trying to explain or be defensive. It's just, you know, people don't often hear guy talk that is anything other than a cliche and sports and whatever, right? Mm-hmm. So. Appreciate the call. I hope you'll let us know how it goes. And, you know, please say, like, I'm, I'm saying this to your girlfriend so that she'll be happy when she's older. You know what I mean? Like, if your doctor says you're fat and you smoke when you're young, he's not just, oh, I'm so offended. It's like, yeah, well, how about, how about your future self is alive? You know, <laughs> that's a good thing. <laughs> and so when I say this, it's because I care about women as they age. And the longer you persist in a vainglorious delusion, the harder you crash to an emptier place when it falls apart. And so by helping women have a soft landing into lower sexual market value, they'll be a lot happier for the 50 or so years they have to live after the tit drop. You know, that's, that's a long stretch of life. It's a long desert to cross looking back at the narcissistic image of your hot youth. Uh, it's no good. So I'm saying this because I want women to be happy into their middle age uh, and older. And, uh, you know, after they run through the wall and they can't gain the attention of of uh, women and they've got, you know, um, hordes of crow's feet radiating out from the sides of their eyes uh, and they got to jam themselves into uh, pantsuits and <laughs> go trolling for guys. It's not not how it should be. It's not going to work out for them. I don't want women to get depressed in middle age and end up on these antidepressants. This is so common throughout the West. But to do that, you need to say the harsh truths up front so that they can prepare for the drop in sexual market value and the rise in their mans. That means you got to pedal, pedal a little hotter, you know, and no longer coasting downhill, now it's uphill. And that is rewarding work if you know it's coming. Thanks, everyone, so much for calling in. You know, it's always a real pleasure to, to chat with Yowl. And uh, please remember to drop by freedomainradio.com slash donate to uh, help out the show. Um, it is essential for you to, you know, hopefully do the right thing and support that which you value and care about and that which I think we can objectively say is doing a hell of a lot of good in the world. So freedomainradio.com slash donate to help out the show. Thank you, my brothers and sisters, so much for watching. We'll talk to you soon.